Good morning, it's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Big game coming up Saturday night. BYU's 2-0, Arizona State's 2-0. They're both nationally ranked. They haven't played in 20-plus years, which is weird when you think about it. Why wouldn't they have played? But nonetheless, they haven't. We're going to get you started with some Cougar talk this morning. We're going to start with Gunnar Romney, BYU wide receiver. Wanted to start off, how does it feel to be facing essentially your hometown team this week in Arizona State? Um, I'm excited. You know, it's it's fun. Uh, my high school coach is a coach there. He's a running backs coach. Um, I got a couple old teammates, a couple of people I played against in high school that, that played for them. So I'm excited to go back and or for them to come up here and to just compete against those dudes because it's personal for me. I mean, I live 10, 15 minutes away from ASU. How is the knee holding up for you? Obviously, we saw you uh, taped up pretty good on Saturday, but how's it holding up? Um, it's good. Uh, you know, I after I got my MRI last week, there's no structural damage to it. It's really just dealing with the pain, and it gets better every single day. You know, I felt good during the Utah game, just a little sore this week, but, you know, I'm good. I'll be, I'll be even better this week. Okay, Jared, and then Sean. Gunnar, how would you assess BYU's explosive plays to this point, uh, particularly in the passing game? Um, you know, I don't think we've had enough um, – as many as we wanted uh, to this point, but I think, you know, we, we've been able to get it done, but as the season goes on, goes along, I think that's one thing that we need to do a lot better of is having those explosive plays, um, whether it's in the run game or the pass game. Um, you know, we've, we've been able to, to get it done with just enough so far, but looking forward, I think that's one area that we can greatly improve on. The other, the flip side of that, and this is something that we've talked about before, but I don't know if people credit enough. How do you assess what the receivers, tight ends, running backs have done in the block game as far as helping the rush game. Yeah, you know, like I said, uh, it's kind of with the pass game. You know, I think we've, we've been able to get it done to this point, um, but we're always looking to improve. I think um, there's, there's a lot of plays where we, we leave yardage on the field, um, but there's also a lot, of, a lot of good things happening. I think, um, you know, with, it, with the first two games under our belt, I think – um, with that experience, hopefully we can we can just continue to improve throughout the season and continue to break even more plays because of those blo- that blocking. Gunner, you touched on this a little bit uh, about how personal this game is for you growing up 10 to 15 minutes away from ASU and now playing for BYU and all that. Um, I, I remember when I lived down in the Valley, and this was over 20 years ago, so it might not mean anything to you, but there was a real kind of heated thing between BYU and Arizona state. Does that still exist with, I mean, obviously there are a lot of members of the church in that area versus here and that kind of thing. Like, is there still like a, like a perception about BYU kind of where you grew up over in Chandler and in Tempe and in the Valley? Yeah, a little bit. Um, Like you mentioned, there's a huge LDS presence in the Valley. Um, So when there's an LDS presence, there's always going to be a BYU presence. And so it kind of conflicted a little bit with that ASU fan base so there, there for sure is a little bit of conflict. Um, and so I wouldn't say it's a rivalry, but I think, I think there's a lot of people that are kind of torn between this game. And uh, there's a lot of, you know, families that might be split. Uh, Jake, last question. Yeah, Gunner, in terms of how the wide receiver unit is coming together, obviously we saw the Nakua brothers get their first extensive action against Utah. How have they fit in with you guys that have kind of been the returning guys in that unit? Um, I think they fit in, fit in perfect. Both of those dudes are really high-energy dudes, and that's what we love about them. They bring, they bring an energy that 
um, it, it amplifies the entire offense and even the team really uh, with the energy they bring. You know, they're not going to shy away from, um, you know, going in and, and making a block even if the play's not coming to them or if they're running a route that's not designed for them, they're going to run at full speed. Um, so I think they're, they've taken on a great role and, and really they're, they're selfless players, which is huge for, for the entire offense. But they're, I think they fit, fit in perfect with our offense. There's Gunnar Romney getting ready for the Sun Devils. Now here's his offensive coordinator, Aaron Roderick. What do you feel like you learned about your team last week? Um, nothing I... Nothing I didn't already know. Yeah. How do you? Yeah, I already knew. I mean, yeah, nothing I didn't know already. Well, and I, I kind of assumed that'd be the case, but you know, they, they went out and made the plays that they need to. How do you translate into the, facing Arizona State this week? What do you see from them? They're really good. They're similar to Utah athletically. Um, you know, great skill in the back end, big physical front. And it's a big challenge just to stay focused. You know, you got a lot of people telling us how good we are right now. And you got to manage that and be ready to play again. All right, Sean, go ahead. Yeah, Coach, we talked, uh, we talked the other day to a uh, certain pass-catching fullback who um, – caught a, a pass or two I think the last time BYU played Arizona State if memory serves I think there was a skinny little kid from Bountiful who who returned a couple of punts or something that night um as well on the field uh just what do you what do you remember about kind of the last time BYU played ASU playing in that game and do you see any sort of uh echoes I guess of those previous ASU teams in this one as well um I don't remember that game that well. I, I mean, I know I didn't do anything special in that game personally. I remember we won, and it was a big deal to beat a good team. Um, yeah, I remember Kalani had a catch for 20 or 30 yards. He got tackled. At, I think he got tackled near the goal line. That Ben Horton, I think, had a long touchdown catch in that game. Um, but don't remember a lot. I just remember we, we pulled out a win over a good team. I, and I don't know what it would – have to do with this game other than just uh, anytime you play, you know, teams that have a lot of speed like these guys do, you know, you have your hands full and you got to be ready. Jake, go ahead. Aaron, when you watch Arizona State on the field defensively, can you use a little bit of a scouting report? It seems like their linebackers seem to be the chief strength of that defense. Am I wrong in that assessment? Um. The linebackers are good, but the secondary is just as good. I mean, that's that there. They got so much skill. The defensive line is big and physical, um, and then their linebackers are experienced, super athletic, and the the secondary across the board, they're very skilled. This is this is a big challenge. They're good. I've had some people reach out to me on social media, so I'm going to pass this question on to you. Uh, only one catch for your tight ends through two games. Is there any concern with the lack of production from that unit for you? No, um, not at all. We threw the ball four times to Isaac Rex last game, and you know, didn't work out. Threw to him a few times a game before, didn't didn't work out. I mean, he had 12 touchdowns last year, most of them in the red zone, and 
this year people aren't going to just let him get open, you know, easily. He's going to have to work for it. We're going to have to work for it. Um, last game, Utah bracketed down Holker twice on third down. I mean, bracket coverage. And he had no catches in the first game, and they still bracketed him on third down um, with a safety and a corner. So people are going to try to make it hard for our tight ends to get the ball because they know they're good. And so if that's the case, we'll throw it to somebody else. And the, the, the plays will come. It's, it's early. It's two games. Those guys play a big role in our offense, and I'm not concerned about that yet. And, um, you know, sometimes it's they got to they gotta get open, and sometimes it's uh, the defense is dictating that the quarterback has to throw the ball somewhere else. And um, not concerned about that. It's, it'll come. Just a small follow-up to that. When If a player ever comes to you and expresses their concern about their lack of production and you kind of show them, hey, you've been bracketed here, do you kind of point to them, hey, this should be a sign of respect that the team actually fears your ability? Um, I might. It depends on the way they approach me about it. My, most guys, I would just tell them, hey, we got a lot of other good players, so if you got complaints, you know, we'll play somebody else. Um that's that's a nice thing about having the depth that we have is we have a lot of good options to throw the ball to. And I don't think you're going to see – you're not going to see – probably not going to see one guy with 12 touchdowns this year. You're not going to see one guy having 150 yards receiving every week. You're going to see different people step up and different people make plays, and that's, that's part of being on a good team is we, we have – you got to defend the whole field – um, you know, we're trying to make people defend every blade of grass out there and every, every skill player on the field is a threat. And uh, you never know from week to week what's going to be there. And so, um, but our tight ends will, they're going to they're gonna get their share of touches this year and it's coming. Okay, Jared, go ahead. I know Ute fans during the game last week were frustrated that the defense wasn't accounting for Jaron Hall's running ability. You know, he had a lot of success running the ball. I'm pretty sure ASU scouted that game and knows what he's capable of. How does that change your approach, you know, knowing that they're going to be scouting that and and trying to take that away? Um, It won't change for us much. I mean, we, he ran the ball. I think, um, I think, I think he ran the ball nine times and, seven of them were called run plays where he has, and none of them were pure call or only one of them was a pure called run just for him. So I guess you'd say we had six play calls where he could hand the ball off or pull it. And that's about right. We don't, we don't need a lot more than that. I think the ones he pulled were big plays. And if we, if you go too deep into that world, then your quarterback's getting beat up. And so we want it to be something that defenses have to respect and um, but we don't want to rely on it so much that it becomes a crutch, you know, and, and then he doesn't make it through the season. How would you assess the pass game? Because the yards haven't been over, you know, the, the numbers statistically haven't been huge, but it's been generally pretty efficient. How would you assess that so far? Um, yeah, I'm not worried about the total yards at all. I think that's the most overrated stat in football. Um, we, have had I did talk to our team though we've had too many long foul balls you know where it's just like we, we took our shots in the in the Utah game did not land them we got a we got a critical PI call uh, in the end zone on a on a deep post corner route that Samson did a great job drawing the penalty 
and we came close on a couple other plays, but coming close doesn't count, you know, so we got to, you know, I, I think that we're just three or four big plays away per game. Uh, our point total is going up, you know, 10 or 20 more points if we just land a few of those shots. And so um, we'll see. I think, I think those plays will come with time. The thing that I'm pleased with about the passing game is Jaron's taking great care of the ball and no sacks. Um, we're, we're protecting our quarterback. We're being smart with the football and then we're being efficient. We've thrown five touchdown passes in two games. I mean, we're, we're getting touchdowns in the passing game. And so would I like to get some more explosive plays? Yes. But if we can run the football and we take care of it and we're getting those touchdown passes in the part of the field where it's tough sledding, you know, it's not always easy to run it, run it in, then we're going to win a lot of games. And so we'll keep working at it. And then the other thing just that's important to recognize is this is, you know, Jaron's second start this year, fourth start of his career. So he's played basically three full games in his football career, college football career. And it's, I think it's fair to expect him to just get a little better each game and see the game a little better and be a little more accurate and, as, as that progress continues, we'll, we'll be a little more aggressive. Okay, Alex, last question. Uh, Coach, after this last game against Utah, you guys had several um, – your game plan seemed fairly efficient with long play drives. I mean, you guys had a drive of like a 93-yard drive as well as one that got over – basically seven minutes of game time off the clock um, without revealing too much. What are you guys looking to, how can you guys replicate that same success against Arizona state? Um, yeah. Different games, different opponents. I mean, in that Utah game that you can't beat the Utes with finesse. Uh, I, I coached there for 12 years. I saw it over and over teams try to run the ball. Utah stops the run. They make you one dimensional. The other team reverts to the pass then the pass rush gets going, and that's when the turnover fest starts. The hits on the quarterback, the fumbles, the interceptions, and that's how they, that's been their formula to win forever. And so we, we knew as a team going into that game that we were not going to fall into that trap. And we were going to run the ball for four quarters if that's what it took and uh, stick with it. We weren't going to abandon what we were doing. We believed in our plan. We knew the game might be a – grinder you know might be a score in the 20s or something like that and we were okay with that we just just got to win by one more than the other team and so it worked um that's not the same plan we want to play every single week you know we we want to be a team that's aggressive and we want to be a team that's balanced and you know that's what we'll set out to do against most teams it just it depends on the opponent and so that was our formula for beating utah it might not be the opponent the formula for winning uh, other games. There's BYU offensive coordinator Aaron Roderick. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Riley Jensen, our college football insider. Stay with us. It's game week for the Utes, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. After a disappointing loss in the Holy War, the Utes look to rebound as they hit the road to square off against an old Mountain West Conference rival in San Diego State. Catch the Ute pregame show Saturday at 4 with a postgame show immediately following the game on the Zone Sports Network. Ah! From Monday morning to the postgame press conference. 
Nobody brings you better coverage of youth football. You ready? Yeah! The 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. All right, DJ and PK, it is time to bring in our college football insider, Riley Jensen. He is on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah is in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is the solution for any commercial property. Concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Riley, good morning. What's up, fellas? Question of the day. Has the BYU program arrived under Kalani Sataki? Ooh, that would be a dangerous thing for anybody to say about any part of their life, right? Like say, saying, saying I'm arrived, uh, that I've arrived as an athlete, that's like when everything starts slipping out of your hands. Now, do, do I think they're moving in the right direction? Yes. Do I feel like that was a big win for the program and for Kalani Sataki? Yes. Do I feel like this can build confidence moving into other big games for BYU? No question about it. But if you if you think that you've arrived, who that that's that's just a scary thought, right? There's always something to improve. There's always something to tweak. There's always something to grow and to learn from. Of course, with the exception of me being me, who's a completely and totally arrived as a sports talk show host. But other than that, you know, I can see where you're going. But at the same time, <laughs> why? why well, not everybody's not everybody's elite. Patrick. Right, back I mean, to that. That was, that was a phrase, you know, the word we used a couple weeks ago or something, right? What was it, it was. It was. We beat <laughs> that into I the ground. I don't remember why, but now that he says that, I remember that we did do that. Well, right, right. Okay, but is this program now capable of winning eight, nine, ten games and be within reason of thinking, all right, that's going to happen, and in a down season be – Six and six, seven and five. We'll give you that. The occasionally, I mean, the Utes had that a few years back when Huntley was a sophomore, uh, and I think he got hurt that season or something, and so they went seven and five, if I remember. But yet, then they follow it up with a couple of South uh, first place and go to the the title game, and so we've established Utah. In a sense, we think they've at least arrived. To, you know, there's the levels of of arrivement. And their arrivement is <laughs> quit looking at me that way. Their arrivement is you know they're going to win eight nine games virtually every year. Do you think BYU's at that point? Well, I certainly think with with the schedule that they have right now, like my thought process is is way different compared to when the season started. Right, like you're looking at Arizona State game, you know. You're looking at the BYU game, and you're and you're like, excuse me, at the Utah game, and you're just like, wow, I don't know, I don't, I don't, I don't know where all these wins are going to come from that everybody's talking about. But you, you win against the University of Utah, you win against Arizona. If you go and win this weekend against Arizona State, all of a sudden, what game do they play in where you don't feel like that they have a chance to win or to be a favorite? And I think. To answer your question in a long way, there teams that win not eight, nine games a year with a good season with ten win or eleven win seasons, they're in every game, and you don't feel like you're out of any game that you play in, and so that becomes exciting for for a BYU fan perspective, and from I guess the arrival, since we're using that word, or the arrivement, as you would say, <laughs> just, <laughs> like really. 
really um, you're in every game. And so this this is where it gets hard emotionally for BYU fans, right, is, is where now the expectations start to rise a little bit, that every game that you play in you, you think you could win, and it comes down to four or five plays in every game. And whether you execute on those four or five plays and you don't know which four or five plays those are going to be, and then if you lose, you just feel terrible because you're like, oh, my gosh, it came down to like three plays and we weren't ready for those three plays. Whereas before it was like, well, we were outmatched. You know, we played out of our head. A couple of plays didn't fall our way. When the expectations get a little bit higher, it becomes a little bit more difficult. But that also means that you have a lot better program and a lot better team. And right now, I, I mean, look, to lose Zach Wilson, start out the season 2-0 and with a win over your rival, uh, things are going in the right direction for BYU. There's no question. Well, I like what you said about arrived because I totally buy that. When you think you've arrived in anything, that's when you're in trouble. And if you want to put arrived at can they average eight or nine wins, yeah, I think they can do that. That's no longer crazy talk. That's right in front of them. you got to go do it, and they haven't. But if you had to bet, I actually think it comes down to two choices. Is it more likely that the roller coaster continues – or is it more likely that they are averaging eight or nine wins and people come calling for Kalani at schools that look at eight or nine wins and think that would be awesome, which is how Virginia looked at Bronco. That would be awesome. And they came and got him. Double and triple the money, right? I think the more likely right. scenario for BYU is that Kalani wins and people come calling. Either way, it'll be a problem for BYU, but I think that's the way it's more likely to break. You agree? Oh, I, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Kalani's name's up for USC. I mean, I, look, mm-hmm. they, you have to look at what Kalani's done in an independent era with the recruiting that he's done, with the ability that and, – and there are some limitations to BYU. I, I think they're a little bit overplayed, but there are some. I think you have to recognize that there's some limitations. But it would not surprise me at all if big schools come and knock on Kalani's door, and then it's going to be up to Kalani to decide what he wants to do. Is he going to – is he going to go the Lavelle Edwards route and, and have lots of offers all the time and just say, look, this is where I love to be, this is what I like to do? Or is it to make a choice to, to have transformational money for his family and take care of generations to come because he can go to a USC or he can go to a, a, a different program? And those are, those are decisions that Kalani will have to make. I think it would have to be a really good job for Kalani to leave. But I also think I mean, you just got to give you got to give a lot of credit to him. I mean, these players love to play for him. They play hard. People in the program are are playing hard right now, and I think he's recruited very well. And I also think he's allowed some of his coaches to coach. I think if you if you look at the game on Saturday, I mean, Aaron Roderick and his play calling they basically out Utah Utah, and and on offense they didn't turn the ball over. They were highly efficient on offense. They kept with the running game, and they kept running and kept running until until Utah broke. And there's very few teams that I can think of over the last 10 years in the Kyle Whittingham era that have been able to break Utah down to where they've been able to keep running the ball and keep running the ball and keep running the ball. And then, you know, in the trenches on the offensive line and the defensive line, I mean, they looked like a University of Utah team. They just kept coming in waves. The offensive line was 
was big and heavy, and they were laying on you, and it was just interesting to see them out Utah, Utah. That, that was the exact game plan that Kyle has used for years to win that was used against Utah to beat them. You probably have noticed this too, but one thing that I've been able to see in through conversations is the amount of allegiance and loyalty that his assistants have to him is as good or better than any staff I've ever known. Yeah, I, don't, I mean, look, I don't, I don't think Kalani is the type of guy that is constantly in people's ears and constantly saying, "Dude, why did you do that?" it's just not even really his personality type. Now, look, just because a coach is that way doesn't mean that that's a bad thing because, you know, the way I look at it, these these guys are all running a ship, right? And and if Kalani's going to run the ship the way he wants to, then Kyle can run the ship the way he wants to. And if the ship goes down, you want it to be because of your choices. But the way Kalani chooses to run it and the way Kalani decides has decided to treat his assistant coaches – is to allow them to be themselves, to allow them to put their own little signature on what they're doing, and then really let them run with it. And look, if there's problems, I'm sure that there's conversations, but I don't think those conversations are taking place in the middle of a game. And so for me, you know, if you're, if you're Aaron Roderick, you really like to coach for Kalani because there's nobody chirping in your ear, throwing you out of your rhythm as you're calling plays. And I don't care who talks about it or, or how it's talked about, but to be an offensive coordinator, there's a rhythm that takes place. And when people, and when people are chirping in your ear, when there's distractions going on and you're not able to be in that rhythm, it's really difficult to call a game the way you want to play it. And I've just, I've really liked the way Aaron Roderick has called plays the last two years. And look, I know, I know we're probably going to give John Beck credit again for, you know, for Jaron Hall's performance, but after a while, you're going to have to start saying, "Gal, who's the offensive coordinator that's putting these quarterbacks in situations in practice and then allowing them to like play to the best of their ability in the games? Who's the coach that's actually preparing them during the week so they can play really well on Saturdays? And, and right now, to me, you, you've got to tip your hat to Aaron Roderick in the way that they're playing offensive football. And, and look, it's not complicated, but there are some nice little wrinkles. I I loved the touchdown play call to uh, Samson Nakua where you drop back for a minute and then it's a controlled rollout to the left and they throw a little out pattern to Samson Nakua. I mean, that was, that was a nice wrinkle on the goal line. And you don't come up with that play unless you saw something on the goal line that indicated that you could run a play like that. And that was, that was ingenuitive. That was, that was creative. That was imaginative, in my opinion. Ingenuitive. Uh, I think it was ingenuitive. Yeah. Listen, listen. You know, not, not everybody has come to the level of arrivement. That, that <laughs> nice. <laughs> you know, the only thing I'll I'll disagree with you on is I can't believe Kalani would be up for the USC job right now because jobs like that they don't want to hear that you are arriving and it's a sports talk radio discussion. They want to see it on paper in black and white on the scoreboard. Yeah, th- this coach has won 30 games in three years. Or... Yeah, and Pete Carroll was their fourth choice. Right. So NFL fair, guy. Fair enough. Fair enough. I don't think USC is always getting the guy that they want. But That's true. To me, when I think about the USC job, 
I do think that one of the one of the boxes that Kalani checks is an ability to connect with people and with boosters and with media. That maybe that's that was the weakness of Clay Helton. Because by all accounts, Clay Helton's a super nice guy, right? Yeah. But maybe just not as charismatic and maybe just not as um, pleasing to the boosters and to the crowds and to to what the USC I don't know whatever their whatever they want it to look like at their program. That's that's something that I could see Kalani fitting into. Now you're right. I mean, they're going to go after some other people first, but who's to say that they don't circle around and go, "Cow, here's a guy who's winning games with an independent schedule, who's been recruiting and and recruiting well to BYU. What could he do recruiting to USC? What could he do for our fan base to get us excited?" I think he checks a lot of boxes, and so I, I'm not saying that I'm not trying to stir the pot. I'm not trying to get BYU fan like up, upset or up in arms. But I do think that there are going to be opportunities for Kalani that maybe other coaches in the past didn't have. Because let, let's let's be honest, he has he has a likable personality, and in in this day and age, it's important that you hire people that you like to be around. And so these ads sometimes they they want to they want to be around people that they like to talk to. It's only one game, and I don't want to go crazy, but and his offensive line was not very good, but I'm talking about Brewer, and I thought, man, if he's got time, he's going to pick you apart. But when the play breaks down in the one game, I didn't see much. Now, I can't go crazy on one game, particularly when it's up to the guys up front to provide him time, but I'm wondering, what do you think about him when the pocket breaks down? Yeah, I, well, first of all, in, in fairness to Charlie Brewer, no quarterback's very good when the pocket breaks down. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, you look at Tom Brady. I mean, that's been the thing that everybody tries to say in the NFL. They're like, oh, he's not very good when the pocket breaks down. Well, then don't let the pocket break down. And watch him take you to the Super Bowl, right? Yeah. Um, everybody's passing percentage goes down. Every, I think Charlie, uh, Charlie has some really good skills, and I really like his eyes. And I really like the way that he plays when when he's in a rhythm. I felt like BYU kept him out of rhythm all night, and I think you know he air he airmailed the last fourth down throw. But I think that's because he was starting to. I think he was starting to see ghosts. I think he was starting to feel a little bit of the pressure of man. I have to make all these plays on my own now. Will the offensive line for Utah get better? No question about it. Will Charlie Brewer get better? I think he will. I do think, and, and I think that I would have liked to have seen a little bit more toughness or a little bit more urgency to make some plays when things were breaking down a little bit. But so there's something, there's something that I'm feeling that this is the same as you, Patrick, because you bring up this question is like was okay was that all offensive line or was there something there that was missing in the in the toughness of like finishing this play and like really trying to make a play and look. I played quarterback for a team. I got sacked 10 times in one game at Washington. And I'm, I'm going to be defensive for quarterbacks for a minute. But I also felt like that, that part of those sacks were on me sometimes, right? Like part of it was like I need to be tougher. I need to figure out how to get out of this jam. Or I need to learn how to throw the ball away before, that, before those guys get to me. And and I got better as, as the season progressed. But – it's not easy when you're feeling pressure. And, uh, look, quarterbacks are really good when it's seven-on-seven. Seven. The ones that, that 
kind of separate themselves from everybody else are guys that can make those plays when everything isn't perfect. And I think that's why, you know, if we want to flip the script a little bit, I think that's why I'm impressed with Jaron Hall, right? Like, he could have been jumpy. He could have been antsy. He could have ran all over the field and tried to make plays with his feet all night. But he stayed in the pocket when he was supposed to, and he used his feet when he was supposed to. And I thought, I thought he played a masterful game on Saturday. And I think because of his maturity and because of the things that he's doing, I, I, I can see BYU winning a lot of games this year. Well, Riley, there is a lot more to talk to you about, but we're going to have to leave it right there for now. We'll talk to you again next week. Are you picking BYU to win? I am. I'm, I'm picking all in-state schools to win this week. Ooh, I, there I, it is. I, I, Your Aggies are big I underdogs at Air Force. I know. Okay. I know. But there's a, different, there's a different enthusiasm, and I think this Rice kid at Utah State, this, this middle linebacker, is a great quarterback for that defense. He's got guys in the right spots. And, and playing fast, at least. And so I know it's a crazy matchup, but I think this offense can actually outscore Ooh. Air Force. The Aggies going 3-0. and Who do you like to be the coach at uh, Utah State next year after Blake Anderson? <laughs> 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 what? Really? Really? That, that's <laughs> So quick to put Kalani on a, another job, Nobody but Blake Anderson, State. no, he's that's a lifer in Logan. Come on! <laughs> Nobody's reached that level of arrivement yet at USU. Stop. Thank you, Riley. Love you guys, man. Thank you. There's Riley Jensen, our college football insider. When we return, Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com. Ryan's coming up to tell us about the coaching change, who the top candidates are, how will SC with an interim coach compete in the regular season? We'll get to that next. It's game week for the Cougars. And the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. It ain't over till it's over. After their emotional win against the Utes, BYU welcomes in another Pac-12 opponent as Arizona State rolls into Lavelle Edwards Stadium this Saturday. Listen all week for your chance to win tickets to the game and then catch the Cougar pregame show Saturday at 6 with a postgame show immediately following the game on the Zone Sports Network. From Monday morning to the post-game press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Cougar football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, we're joined once again by Ryan Abraham, publisher and owner of uscfootball.com. He's on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah's in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is the solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at Smart Rain. Dot net. Ryan, good morning. Good morning. It's a uh, silly season in USC football land again. So, uh, <laughs> didn't expect it this early, but here we are. You knew we were calling you. You just didn't know which day, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it's, this has been a crazy 48 hours. There's, you know, covering the USC beat, there's been some really insane stories over, you know, over the years. There's just always something nutty going on, and everyone expected you know, Clay Helton did be fired, especially after seeing the game Saturday night. I just didn't expect it to happen uh, this quickly. But, yeah, yeah, they pulled the trigger and uh, made the move on Monday, and we got to go to a practice with interim head coach Dante Williams yesterday. And uh, one, one thing I put on Twitter, if you uh, cover the USC beat, you know how to spell the word interim very well because you can <laughs> use it quite often. So you mentioned Williams. 
and I want a little information from about him from you. He started with the Seahawks. Now, I'm not talking Seattle, nor am I talking Redondo Union High School. I'm talking <laughs> Harbor College, my old beat in the 90s. That's where he got his start. He's a local guy, but he's got a connection here. He played his college ball at Idaho State. That's basically up the freeway from us. And so he has been around. He's only, I think, 38, 39 years of age. Uh, why him? Yeah, so it's funny. He, he, you know, big Southern California guys, really tied into the high school scene down here. Like you said, you know, Harbor College and stuff. But he goes up to Oregon and gets like a couple times the Pac-12 Recruiter of the Year. It just does a great job up there. USC ends up luring him away when they switch over their defensive staff, and he got the associate head coaching title last year. He's just been USC needed a shot in the arm as far as recruiting goes, especially after that 2020 class. And he was it, and he's just been doing a tremendous job there. Relates with the players extremely well. He's recruited most of the, the roster, if not here. He recruited those kids when he was at Oregon. So I think they just felt that he had the, built those relationships with the players and would be a good guy to lead them through. I mean, it's 10 games. It's like a pretty good resume builder for someone that, you know, you're a cornerback's coach, not even like a full secondary coach. Uh, I think that's a great opportunity. We saw other people – take it and run with it when you get that interim job. I don't think he's going to end up being USC's head coach, but uh, it's certainly going to be something that he could put on his resume because the schedule's not that difficult. If they can go out and beat the teams that they should beat, I mean, he could go 8-2 and two or something like that, and that would, uh, that would be a nice feather in his cap. Well, that schedule includes both Utah and then BYU on Thanksgiving weekend in the regular season finale. Do you think they hold it together? Because there have been a couple seasons where they have had the interim coaches and they've been 1-2 and two when they played the Utes and won the game and finished 6-3. and There have also been a couple seasons, one with Lane Kiffin and one with Clay Helton, when, when they couldn't reach their goals, everything just unraveled. And yeah, I don't know, guys are just playing for the NFL or what, but Lane Kiffin had a 7-6, and six and Clay Helton had a 5-7, and seven, and is there a chance USC's looking at that? Yeah, I think everything's on the table. I mean, the, Mike Bone, the athletic director, said that they're not, like, um, just basically writing off this season. They really want to think that there's uh, you know some opportunities to just go out and win the Pac-12 again. And, uh, but, I mean, those are the key games. I mean, you got to beat BYU, who's got them a – a couple of years ago, obviously, Utah is a huge rival in the South, but they get them in the, the Coliseum. I mean, UCLA looks really good. you got to go on the road and play Notre Dame. So there's definitely some some tough games in there. And, you know, Stanford, I still don't think, is a very good team, and they just throttled USC. So I think it's just getting this team to play together. There was a lot of infighting and stuff going on. If he can galvanize the team, they should be okay. Uh, but it's a lot. I mean, he's going into practice. The day before, you know, we're out there at practice today. Like, and I asked him, do you change the practice schedule much? He's like, not really. I mean, they just, he just got the job. Uh, but, I, yeah, I think there's going to be some key games. Uh, you know, it, can Utah get their first win in the Coliseum? Uh, you know, could BYU do it? You know, let's pull another upset. So those are the ones that people are going to be watching when he's uh, out there coaching. So we don't think that he's going to get the job, right? So obviously there's been all sorts of speculation. We got the fickle connection with the AD, James Franklin, who did did marvelous work at Vanderbilt and obviously has done very well at Penn State. Those guys came to mind right off the bat, and they've already spoken. They don't want distractions, blah, blah, blah. My guy, who has no distractions, is Chris Peterson. I think they should just throw all the money in the world at him and see if he wants to come back. How about that? Yeah, I mean, I don't. I think there's some a couple good options of guys that aren't working right now, like Chris Peterson and Bob Stoops, and they're both 
in Los Angeles for Fox, like at least part of the part of the week, uh, do it covering football. And it's funny, every name that comes up, there's definitely going to be reasons why someone will say he'll never do that or that'll never work. And one of them's going to, you know. So it's it's curious to see, you know, will, will Luke Fickle, you know, leave his cocoon in, in Ohio where he's been his whole career? Is Chris Peterson, you know, done with the retirement stuff? He seems like he's pretty happy with the way he's doing. Same thing with Stoops. Um, you know, like a James Franklin, that's you know, his big-time job there at, at Penn State. Uh, you know, Matt Campbell at, at Iowa State. There's a lot of interesting names. And when you're the athletic director at a place like USC, like your main job, your, I mean, priority one, two, and three are hiring the head football coach. And the, the first step was getting an opening, and the fans were asking for that for the last few years. Now they have one. And now they're going to have to, you know, now they're on stage. Now it's all about them. Who are you going to hire? Uh, we're, we're not sure if he's going to use a search firm. He said he wasn't sure yet, but they have a lot of time, um, you know, to, to kind of figure this out. And you want to get it done as early as possible because of the early signing period. But they at least have a head start on anyone else that's out there uh, looking for a head coach. Public schools, we always see what their athletic budgets are and the coaches' salaries and all that. Private schools don't have the same issues with the Freedom of Information Act. What's the ballpark USC pays in? What's the ballpark they're willing to pay in? Because watching these SEC salaries, they're just going through the roof. It is going through the roof, and uh, it's crazy. I think my estimation of what Clay Hilton's buyout is, is it's probably between 12 and $15 million, so that's not cheap uh, either for them to just to get rid of Clay Hilton um, with a couple of years left on his deal. My understanding is, he, you know, as far as the tax returns go, I think his salary, Clay Helton's salary, was over $5 million now. So I think you would at least start there. Uh, but, I mean, yeah, does it go up to $8 million? I mean, we've never seen something like that uh, out here. So it's uh, it could get a little crazy. They've shown that they've been willing to spend money, uh, you know, to try to get things, you know, the athletic department be a little bit more modern. Like before, there was kind of penny-pinching around the department. I don't know if they've opened up the purse sprint strings a little bit uh, at the athletic department, but it just seems like they're spending more. I mean, university's been dealing with a lot of scandals on their own. There's been a lot of money coming out. So, But I, I feel they understand that it is important to get the football team right, and you can't do it uh, just hoping and, and having a you know a kind of a budget program. So that, that will be something interesting to see. We might not know all the details until the tax returns come out in a couple of years, but that's usually when you can find out for sure with the private schools. But yeah, it's that, that's what they're going to have to do. They're going to have to spend money if they want to play with the big boys. And if they don't, then you can kind of tell, okay, they're not really serious about winning for this football program anymore. What's interesting is they're trying to recapture what they had. You know, programs try to do that, and it gets very difficult. You know, I can argue that uh, the Bruins basketball team is the ghost of John Wooden hasn't gone away. Arizona State, the ghost of Frank Cush hasn't gone away. UNLV basketball, the ghost of Jerry Tarkanian hasn't gone away. Now, there's been multiple ghosts at SC, and the latest being Pete Carroll. How long is that going to take, and will that ghost ever go away? And what I mean by can SC get back to what they had because they had it once like those other schools did, but we're getting like starting to get a distance between that and now makes me wonder how realistic it is. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. I think the, the, the fact that there's multiple ghosts is what you have to look at. It's a brand. You know, has, has Texas been all that successful in the last, you know, 10 years, 15 years, basically since USC was really successful? Like, no, but they're still a huge brand because of the history, the fan base tradition and all that. And that's why 
the SEC would try to take them away. And that's why, it, they, you know, just them leaving the Big 12 would crush the conference. And I think it's the same thing with USC. You just need the right coach. It's a sleeping giant. If you get the a right, you know, good leadership in there, uh, it, you, you're just, it's a blueprint for being successful. And I think USC, you almost have to try to screw USC football up. And that's really what they've done with the athletic directors they've had before. So the hope if you're a USC fan is that, you know, Mike Bowen's the right guy. They're going to go out and make a great hire and just give yourself a much more reasonable chance of success. Not basically before you were hiring someone and hoping that the tradition sort of like dragged them along. Like you want a coach that's going to be driving this bus, not the USC brand driving the bus. And you just hire someone like a Clay Helton that's, that's along for the ride. You know, you don't want someone that's along for the ride. You want someone that's going to control things and take things over. And if they can do that, I think USC can get back on top. So if I offered you USC or the field in the Pac-12 South right now, which one would you take? I'm going field. Uh, you know, I like the way UCLA's playing. I, you know, I, I was a little shocked at the Utah-BYU game because BYU didn't look that great in the, in the opener, but I still think Utah's a formidable opponent. And, you know, Arizona State's a wild card to me because, I mean, any minute, you know, Herm Edwards might not be there with all the stuff that's going on. But uh, they seem like they're, you know, you're getting through things. They have an easy early part of the schedule USC is still really talented but you know you've switched head coaches I just think there's a lot that can go wrong and they already have a Pac-12 loss so I'll definitely take the field on that one USC can win it for sure but uh, at this point I'll go field the backup quarterbacks a local kid dart uh, I'm assuming I don't know this you'd probably know more that Slovis tries his hand in the NFL I know they got another four or five star kid was named Miller and then uh, probably got some guys in the pipeline, how do you think that shakes out? Yeah, for uh, I like the way Jackson Darts played well. He was named the backup quarterback. Uh, he competed with Miller Moss, who's more of a, a local kid. They got Devin Brown, a 2022 uh, kid who's looked really good, throwing like six or seven touchdowns a game. Where you know where Dart played uh, in high school. So there's there's some interesting um, developments there. But I don't know as far as like because they're picking a new head coach. Is Graham Harrell going to be around? Graham and uh, Keaton are tight. You know, I, I think Slovis would go, but if he doesn't have a great rest of the year, maybe he wants to stay. Uh, Dart's also pretty tight with Graham Harrell. So there, I think there's going to be a shakeup, obviously, with a new head coach. And the way Graham Harrell's – the offense hasn't really been performing that well. So I think before he would have been someone that you thought a new coach would want to keep. Unless the offense turns things around, I mean, scoring 20 – three points a game is not going to, you know, not going to cut it in college football nowadays. And that's what they've been doing. So um, I think the quarterback room is going to be affected by who the coaches are. Cause those, are, you know, those guys have pretty close ties. Well, Ryan, as always, we appreciate it. Thanks for joining us. And we will talk to you again as the Utah USC game approaches. That should be a really good one. Yeah, I can't wait. And uh, thanks for having me on, guys. There's Ryan Abraham covering all things USC football. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines. Stay with us. Your day has just begun. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? On 97.5, 1280, The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Hashtag NFL. 
This is the National Football League. Each offseason, you got to work like it's the last season. And I just don't see a work ethic in Aaron Rodgers that I have in previous years. And uh, actually, you can see it right through his, his helmet. The eyes and the face tell, tells everything of the personality. And uh, I just don't see it. That NFL hunger and and just feel hungry to go win another championship. I just think it's cliche and talk um, that, that guys get up there and say, oh, I want to win a championship. Oh, it sounds good, but I want to see what you do on the field. That's former Packers tight end Jermichael Finley saying Aaron Rodgers' work ethic is lacking. Lots of people say lots of stuff, PK, but when it's a former teammate, it's going to carry more weight. Whether it's right or wrong, it is going to carry more weight. I agree. Yeah, sure. Uh, that's damning in a sense that that's your th- the deal there. I mean, he wasn't around off season. He had other things going on. So you wonder, as I said earlier in the week, I think it was, he's turning into a drama queen. Thursday night football tonight, it's the Giants. It's New York and Washington. Sakon Barkley is listed as questionable for this one. 620 on the NFL Network, Washington. The first team to have to change quarterbacks. And Ryan Fitzpatrick is out, so... They're going back to a guy who looked good in the playoffs, got beat. Of course, they got beat by the Bucks, so you got to have the chance yeah. for Tom Brady. Oh, yeah. Good call. Got beat by the Bucks. You're right. I'd like to argue with you, but I can't. Demarcus Lawrence suffered a broken foot in Wednesday's practice, so the Cowboys' defensive end is out six to eight weeks. And the Cowboys are also expected to be missing their second-best pass rusher, Randy Gregory. COVID-19 protocols, they're playing the Rams on Sunday. Do they still have Randy White? Nope, not anymore. The Manster? He's not there? Half man, half monster. The Manster? They got Ed Tuttle Jones? Raiders defensive tackle Gerald McCoy suffered a season-ending left knee injury in the Monday night game against the Ravens. He joins their starting offensive guard, Denzel Good, on injured reserve. DJ and PK. Hashtag college football. I'm not going to bury the lead. I'm not going to soft sell it. I'm just going to ask you. There's a job in your conference which came open. When people mention your name for said job, what would your response be? My response is go Ducks. Any any chance, any chance that you at least have a conversation? I'm saying, telling you again, go Ducks. I, I'm not sure why you brought me on this interview. I was no, under no, the no, impression I, that we were I, talking I, about the Oregon Ducks and whatnot. Uh, since we go this route, I'll reinforce yep. it again. Go Ducks. And so here I am, buddy. Rock me like a hurricane. Our <laughs> Mario Cristobal with Doug Gottlieb on the USC rumors surrounding him. So he didn't say no. Go Ducks. <laughs> go Phil Knight. It's one and the same. Go Ducks. Ahead of their clash against number one Alabama, Florida quarterback Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson know the plan about how they'll be utilized in the game. Jones has been the start of the season, while Richardson has been effective off the bench, prompting some to speculate he could take over the starting job. Against that backdrop, number 11 Florida gets ready for number one Alabama. Go Ducks. You're going to sprinkle that in throughout the show now? Go Ducks. LSU running back Kevin Falk has stepped away from the team to be with his family after the death coach, of coach, not a running back. Running back coach, yes. Kevin Falk has stepped away from the team to be with his family after the death of his 19-year-old daughter earlier in the week. It's not expected to participate in Saturday's game against Central Michigan. 
Ed Orgeron expressed his condolences to the Falk family, saying everyone in the program is sick to their stomach over Kevion Falk's death. Understandable. Yeah, 19, so young. DJ and PK. Hashtag NBA. Milwaukee Bucks have named Lisa Byington as the team's new TV play-by-play announcer, making her the first woman to handle full-time TV play-by-play duties for a major men's professional sports team. Byington replaces longtime Bucks announcer Jim Paschke, who retired this past season. Well, I think the big story here is that Paschke's only 70. These guys take this job till death do us part. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know that I've ever seen a 70-year-old retire from this job. I mean, they are into it so much that they stay as long as they possibly can. There's been several people who've literally died on the job. And yet Paschke's out the door at, at 70. Ah, I don't know if he's got any health issues. Hopefully not for him. Right. But, yeah, you don't see. Al McCoy's at 88 down in Phoenix, still going on. Chick Hearn literally died on the job. Never did retire. It's like when you get a column job in the sports, they stay forever. I'm <laughs> looking at you. I'm not naming names. <laughs> looking at Jim Murray. <laughs> Jim Murray did it. Uh, that Greg Hansen that we have on, he's like yeah. in the 70s. Osler up in San Francisco was like 72, 73. Wasn't there somebody from Washington who was like 90, 95 or something? Oh, yeah. What was his name? Yeah. Yeah. He did it forever. So to see this man step aside at 70. He's Jeez. a spring chicken. I know. DJ and PK. Hashtag Major League Baseball. Padres' five-game losing streak is over, ending the Giants' nine-game winning streak. 9-6 the final as Fernando Tatis bangs out four hits. Padres finally snapped that streak, and the Dodgers take advantage. They beat the Diamondbacks 5-3, so they creep within a game and a half of the Giants in that race in the National League West. In the American League wildcard race, the Yankees beat the Orioles. Man, they just can't play Baltimore enough. That is, They have been such a cold streak, and they show up against Baltimore. Bizarreness in that game with the entire Baltimore Orioles ground crew. Perched behind the tarp. Poised to spring into action, and the ump told him to scram. Although, he later explained, I did not eject the grounds crew. It was Tim Timmons who did it. He said, I just wanted them. I just didn't want all of them behind the tarp, especially with the infield in. I have no idea what you're talking about. So I didn't eject it. Yankees win, but so do the Red Sox. So do the Blue Jays. Bo Bouchette, five ribbies as the Blue Jays beat the Rays 6-3. to three. Red Sox over the Mariners, 9-4. So, no change at the top of the AL wildcard race. Angels win 3-2 over the White Sox. Angels star Mike Trout, not expected to play the rest of the season, according to Joe Madden. I'm not anticipating anything to change in regards to him playing. I'd be very surprised. Had a calf injury in mid-May, and it has apparently lingered all year. Well, what's the point now? Yeah, lost year for Trout. Bees open a six-game series in Reno tonight. First pitch, 735. Steve Klauke will be on the air, 720, with the on-deck circle right here on the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK. Hashtag RSL. 
RSL beats the San Jose Earthquakes in a wild game. 4-3 the final score. Rubio Rabine scores twice. Albert Rusnak had a goal and an assist. Justin Miram scored. They trailed twice, but they also blew one lead. And Rubio Rabin gets the game winner with about 10 minutes to go. And RSL wins on the road for the first time since the season opener against Minnesota. So if we were going to have a female replace you, who would it be? That's an excellent question. I don't know. Because I think it's about time. Lisa Byington. Grab her away. She's busy. Oh. Well, I think she's done a lot of soccer, so. Irregardless. I mean, your season runs like 13 months out of the year. Not quite. So she didn't have any about time. Eight. About eight. And she's going to the team that won the championship, so they're going to be deep into the playoffs more than likely. So she couldn't do it. Although you have like seven 45-day breaks during the season, so maybe she could. See? You're debating yourself. <laughs> you got to come up with an answer soon. People, who would you want to see? We're going to have a female call RSL games. Who do you want? 646. Oh, wait. <laughs> oh, wait. That doesn't work anymore. And yes, you did not learn it. And what did it he get did, you? He did, however, learn at we... least three of the five numbers because he got, got that right. That's all I And then I'm shocked that it came to me. <laughs> but that's all I got. I don't you know. You love bringing it up. I don't know the other numbers beyond that. Three, six. Because I was right. Six, and you four, guys six, used to six. yell at me for not learning And it. here we go. And I thought, well, I'm right. But I want to know. What, what female does our community want? Calling soccer games. I'm thinking, uh, what's her name? Uh, Charlize. What's her last name? Like Tehran, something like that? Charlize Theron, yeah. Theron, Actress? Yeah. Yeah. Well, she's, she's, uh, she's making 20 million bucks a movie. What does she want to do this for? For fun. Oh, okay. I mean, I mean you, why do you want to do it? You're not getting any more money. You've told us that a thousand times. Yep. So if it's sure. money, why would you want to do it? What's the? That's a dumb thing to say. It's a great thing to say. It is not. You're not getting any more money for it. So why? I keep getting the money I make when a news director goes upstairs to fire us all. What? How many times has that happened since you've been in Salt Lake? Oh, twice. approximately zero. Twice. You've been fired twice? No. He didn't get to fire me, but he went upstairs to try. Tried to clean out the whole department. Oh, yeah. When you go up to the upper level up there, they say, swat away this kid. We're not firing him. He's sportscaster of the year. Come on, dude. Got the last part You make it so easy for me sometimes. You make money. That's why I didn't do it. Right, but you're not getting fired. So you're not doing it for money. Neither would Charlize. Isn't she? She's uh, from the other side of the world, so she's got to know about soccer. She's South African. South African. Yeah, they're big in soccer, man. Come on. Elizabeth Hurley. She's from Europe. It's, it's like the number one spot sport over there, right? I mean, soccer, football, 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 football. You know, FC this, FC, FC that. You know what I mean? I mean, so come on. we got to get somebody who has an accent. Because anybody here in the youth leagues, if the coach has an accent, you already know, oh, gosh, this guy knows soccer. <laughs> That's absolutely how it works. <laughs> Much as second graders. Their coach is Brazilian. Right. Got an accent, man. Because this isn't, you know, not the number one sport around here. So, around our way. So I'm figuring get, we need somebody to spice up the broadcast. Lizzie and Dunny. Seven, <laughs> seven goals spice things up. And the yeah, red card that rare. wasn't. 
It was rare, yes. I mean, you already said it. You already did. In a wild game. It was a wild Four to game. three in my sport. Uh, hum ho. In your sport. It's a wild game. It's once in a lifetime. You should have seen it. There's action all over the place. Arcel hosts Seattle, Rio Tinto Stadium, Saturday night at 7.30. What is Trending is brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. There is no job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. What, what clip are we going to use? What clip are we going to use? Let's Lincoln start it Kennedy. Now. No, let's, do, let's not wait to the commercial break. Lincoln Kennedy, <laughs> Pac-12 Networks, Raider Radio Analyst. That's behind the scenes. They don't know about that. What clip are we going to use? Oh, listen here in about five minutes. You'll hear it. <laughs> 8.30. Lincoln will be here to talk about the Raiders' crazy Monday night football game, the coaching change at USC, and the wide-open Pac-12 South. Matt Ortiz, co-host of the Sons of Montezuma podcast covering San Diego State football, will join us at 9 o'clock as the youths get ready to go to Carson to play San Diego State. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. The question of the day is next. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. Utah tight end Cole Fotheringham with us. You guys put the rivalry game behind you quite yet? You moving on to San Diego State? Yes, sir. We got the film in this morning. We're going to make the corrections, and now our focus is on uh, San Diego State. Coaches like to use these situations as teaching moments. What did you see that stood out to you as uh, needing improvement? I think that, you know, as a team, we came out maybe a little too confident, and BYU had a great game plan, and they played a great game. They gave it to us, so all the respect to those guys, and we learned from our mistakes, and now we're ready to get after the next opponent. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O Tires. The team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Football Fridays presented by Mountainland Supply, where the pros go for plumbing, landscaping irrigation, agricultural irrigation, HVAC parts, tools, and safety equipment. Find a location near you at mountainland.com. Question of the day. Last time BYU fans stormed the field before the Utah game was after the USC win, and the Cougars promptly lost their next three games. Any worries about a repeat? Yeah. An emotional letdown. Yeah. It could happen. Or it won't because everybody's so on guard against it because it's so obvious. Yeah, but when isn't it obvious? Just because you know something doesn't mean you can't prevent it. Not automatically. But possibly. The thing that works in BYU's favor is that they don't have as many big games. And this is circled as one of them. I mean, Baylor is not a big game. They're all big. Maybe but, Baylor does since you're going to be in their conference in a couple of years, but a lot of these players will be gone. Virginia with Bronco coming back. Uh, so with that in mind. But the Pac-12 the, South the, teams carry a special oomph. There's Arizona guys on the team. Right. And it's a ranked opponent. And so you have a chance to go 3-0 and in the Utes division. Well, why would we join that division, man? We dominate. That'd be too easy. 
<laughs> well, they didn't. They certainly made inquiries in the Pac-12 here recently. There's no doubt about that. I had said that weeks ago. And the fan base has spent, you know, better part of 30 years thinking about it. Obsessing about it. Yeah. And now hating it. And now having even more reason to hate it. Yeah. 30 years of thinking about it, 10 years, yeah. of, 10 years of hating it. Right. And now you're going to even hate it more because you're locked in with the other guys. So they're going to be your guys. It's funny. It's not. It's going to be unusual because... BYU folks, I mean, they just loved Gonzaga. Everybody just heaps praises on Gonzaga. Like it's, it, it can't be a true rival unless there's some hatred there. And they tried to make it, but yet they loved Gonzaga and rooted for Gonzaga hardcore. But yet they would never root for Utah like that. Never. No. <laughs> Ever. Yeah. <laughs> so they're going to be summon, able to summon all that for Arizona State. Jeff says, uh, are there any worries about a repeat? OMG, yes. That was BYU Super Bowl. They put every ounce of their souls into it. And they played a perfect game, well beyond the team's abilities. There's nothing to look forward to now. Absolutely nothing. Nothing left this season to get motivated for. It's motivated for. It's all downhill from here. The wheels are already coming off with the bickering about who was the MVP for the Utah game. Well, that's either sarcasm or go Utes. I assume that was go Utes. But see, there's also an opportunity, though, to prove that they didn't play the game of their lives. And it's not beyond the realm to have them play like that. This is who they are. And they're just really good, and they were underestimated. There's always teams like that every year. Uh, we don't see uh, the respect accorded until you get to you know week five, six, seven, and so forth. Um, we say that all the time. You know, I didn't see that coming. Now with the, with the playoff, it's very rare because we do see it coming. We we know there's a small circle of teams that are in contention, and they will remain in contention. Right, but Iowa State last year was the team. Wow, look how good they yeah, are. But they weren't in contention. I mean, I know they had the title. They played game, the Big Twelve title game, but. Yeah. They weren't going to win it. Uh, so, but yeah, that's that's a good example. Uh, so, we, from the college football, that, that's a good thing about college sports is it's not winner take all, win or second place is just as good as losing. It's not that way. It's not that way in the NCAs. If you go to the Sweet Sixteen and you're Cinderella, you had a phenomenal season. It's remembered forever. Uh, so you don't need to go to the Final Four or win the whole thing. Certain schools do, like Kansas, not in football, but Kansas in basketball. If they don't win it or at least get there, it's disappointing because they're of that stature over many, many years. And in the pros, it's just a lot of that is you know either win or you lost. So I don't want to hear it. But I don't think it's that way in college. And Iowa State can have a very nice season. Because, I mean, you look at whoever's going to get the USC job most likely has not going to want it all. But yet that's a premier job in college football. So we don't look at that that way at the college level. So BYU still has a ton of proof. That's what's great things about uh, motivation and all. So people do think, wow, that was a Super Bowl, and you put everything into it, and good for you. You played a great game, and you won. You dominated and now can you do it again? I mean, it's great you did it last week, but everybody's over it by now. You'd fans, you've moved on. You lost the game. You've beaten them 9 out of 10, 
And you got Sanders State this week. All right. Kyle, I heard uh, he had told his players they have a weekly coaches show, apparently, and he told his players, you don't answer any questions about BYU. It's over. Yeah. And that's like on Monday or Tuesday. Uh, yeah, well, it's Tuesday because Tuesday, if you go to practice, he comes over. All right, all right, we gotta go, gotta go, gotta go, gotta go, gotta go. And you're always, you're just like, oh man, you're just, you're adrenaline. I got, I got, I got a question. Kyle Kyle has two minutes. <laughs> yeah. And then at a minute and 20 seconds on my recorder, thanks, coach. <laughs> He's out the door on his way, wherever they do that, I don't know. Uh, but I was told that they uh, had, inf- maybe it wasn't him, but it was somebody who's told the players, no questions about BYU. We're past it, as they should. There's one game you lost uh, early in the season, and whoop de doo I mean, uh, Utah season is not over any more than Ohio State season is over. And to say that either season is over is ridiculous. So you lost the game. It was going to happen at some point. You weren't going to beat them 500 times in a row. In that respect, it's not that big of a deal. Because you're judged on your season. You're not judged on a singular game. Especially the second game of the season. So plenty of football, plenty of stuff to be had for sure. For BYU, go out and, and prove it again. Because you got the uh, the second and third ranked teams in the South, according to the preseason poll. And you're going to get the first. And who knows, at that point, we'll know the order. Uh, so there would be some, uh, especially as an independent, when you can't claim a conference title. Go ahead and claim dominance in the division. And you beat half the teams. That's pretty cool. 3-0 and against the South. 5-0 and against the conference. Yeah, I mean, you got to get there. Right. But That would be the goal. Something but, to look forward to. And if you were to get it, I mean, I think four and one would be pretty good. But if you went five and zero oh in that conference, three and zero oh in that division, oh, we're going to be comparing the Pac twelve and the Big twelve now for not yet, not now. You sure? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. Oh no, I am. I'm I'm 100 percent positive. Well, in two years for sure, but this year, no, because no, you have an opportunity to dominate this conference. And you'll never, ever play five Pac-12 teams again, ever. Nope. Schedule set for next year, and then the conference schedule will kick in, so yeah. this is it. Yeah. Right. So basically, this is your going-out party against the Pac-12. You'll never play this many. Declare victory and move on. Yeah. That would be sweet for the program and its fan base. Jordan says everyone is saying Utah is down. I say it's BYU who is up. Nothing fluky about it. Cougs are going to roll. I don't know. Everyone's saying Utah is down. I don't. Everyone's know. I don't probably know. a bit. Much. I don't know what Utah is. I don't even think it's a majority. I don't even think it's fifty percent. I don't think it's forty, sixty percent, or forty percent. I think it's a question mark. How good is the team? Remains to be seen how good they are. I think they'll get, I'm going to stick with my nine wins. They'd have to go six and, well, seven and two in the conference. Mm-hmm. As I sit here right now, I think it's doable. Maybe I'm overestimating Utah's program, but right now I, th- I think it's doable. Yeah, I do. 
That would be doable because that would mean splitting with USC, Oregon, Arizona State, and UCLA and beating everybody else. And the bottom half of the conference does not look good here. And we've already talked about what a bad week out of the gate for the North. Yeah, and then out of the week. Out, and out then Stanford the turns around and yeah. beats USC. Yeah, so. <laughs> it was a bad week, but I don't know that it's a conclusion of season long. This is who they are. It was, there was no question it was a bad week. That'll never change. But that doesn't necessarily mean, especially when you make a quarterback change in the case of Stanford. Yes. Or they make a quarterback commitment, basically. Because I think they both played. They both played in the K-State uh, game. Yeah. And then Shaw goes uh, with McKee, makes a commitment to the young man, and now he's off and we'll see what he can do. And they'll be, you know, in the conference situation, there'll be a whole lot of tape on him and all. And good for him. He played well one week uh, virtually in his hometown. I'm sure his family was just thrilled beyond belief. But the fact that your kid got a scholarship to Stanford, if they went 0-12, <laughs> you ought to be thrilled beyond belief. <laughs> Consolation prize, right. Stanford degree, golden ticket. Right. It, it really is. There's no question about it. So the things that matter in life, uh, unless you're... But if you can get the big win at the Coliseum and seal the starting job, too, all the better. It is. It is all the better. But I just try to find... I, I view sports as entertainment and find perspective with it. When it's over, it's over. Uh, less like when I walk out of a movie. If I liked it or I didn't, and then it's over, it's over. And for the rest of us, you know, if you're Clay Helton and that's your job and all that stuff, that's another story. But for the rest of us, we're just fans. It's not our jobs. My job is not dependent upon any team winning or losing. If it were, I would be the number one fan of that team. <laughs> Come on, baby! Yeah. Yeah, I, I, would, I would root so passionately, and I would be despondent if they lost. I've never been in that situation. Most of us don't put ourselves or find ourselves in that position. <laughs> How about this post from Karsten? BYU won the only game that matters on the whole schedule. The rest is just a bonus. They could crap the bed the rest of the year, and I'd still consider this season a success. But I hope they win them all. Go Cougs! Now nah, the program is well beyond that to where that's the biggest game for now. Yeah, I agree. When but now in- this is a huge game. And you'd rather win the Utah game than the ASU game, but they have a chance to take them both, so take them both. Yeah, yeah, I can relate it to my fandom. If I pick one game every year, it'd be the Arizona game that I'd want to win. Absolutely, there's no question about it. If I could pick one game that's an absolute must-win, it's your rival. I agree with that 100%. But you got to have more than that. If you're only, if you know, no one ever comes to a coach, you got one game to win, what's it going to be? And if, as fans, we play these games... And so, yes, yes, I understand that. Particularly if you've lost nine in a row. Absolutely. There's no doubt about it. It's just overwhelming. That's the one game. If you can only win one, that's the one. But, you know, you want a successful season. There's so much at stake for BYU as they continue to build and prove themselves. And what better way to prove themselves? I have no idea if Arizona State is a top 25 program. Beating Southern Utah and UNLV doesn't prove anything. I mean, obviously you were supposed to do that. You did what you were supposed to do. Yeah, so the point being, it's early. There'll be plenty of time for proof. And this is a step towards proof. Absolutely. For both teams. I think more so for the Devils because the Cougars already got a ranked team. You can combine Southern Utah's roster with UNLV and the Devils should beat that roster, right? True story. And if I was Vegas, I would schedule SUU every year and try to create a rival. Your program stinks, (laughs) and you're not that far away from each other. 
<laughs> UNLV <laughs> visits St. George tonight. Well, Southern Utah is Cedar City, but... Uh, I sent them to Dixie State accidentally. I'm sure they've got uh, guys from Vegas on their rosters because they're, you know, that obviously they're close. And, but Vegas, the point I'm making is Vegas is at best right now, and it seems like forever, has their Big Sky's caliber team. I doubt if you put an 8-9 game Big Sky conference schedule on Vegas' slate that they would go undefeated. Yeah, I wouldn't take that bet. That would yeah. they, they would get beat yeah. at some point, right? So the Devils have proven nothing, but we knew that going in. Their schedule was going to be they were going to be two and zero. This was what it was supposed to do: right. two games to tune up, then a good non conference game to get you ready for conference, and then into the Pac twelve. This is what they wanted when they set it up. They're right where they're supposed to be. Exactly. Yes. So they've proven nothing. Well, they've proven that their pass game is awful. They don't throw the ball well at all. I mean, Daniels might be one of the most overrated quarterbacks. I mean, he had a ton of hype. If you thought Brewer the mid-range had a ton game of hype, gets away from him, the deep ball I, I is, is pretty. You, you're just you going on so? one pass to Ayuk. I don't think you've watched one second of Sun Devil football this year. Not this year, I right. haven't. Not this year. <laughs> so, right, and so you're going back to that Oregon pass. I've seen him. I've seen him play against the Utes too. It was. You know, I don't think they he's completed ac- three passes against I know. the Utes. I don't think he's accurate in the mid range. Do you think he's accurate in the mid range? If you completed three passes against the Utes, you're accurate in no range, and that's the only time he played him. Three passes. Yes. He's three for twenty. So no. So his. So the passing game isn't good. Yes, mid range, medium range, long range, short range, driving range. <laughs> 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 That'd be awesome. <laughs> Just mixing sports. <laughs> Guys out there with buckets of balls. <laughs> Range finder? <laughs> He's trying to drop it in some bucket down, <laughs> down at the other end of the range, and he can't do it. Like they throw into trash cans. I, you saw one pass, and you keep saying the long-range the bomb, the deep ball. No, it's not. His percentage is awful. <laughs> they don't have a passing game. And they got one under quarterback on scholarship. They're woefully weak. Their quarterback room is the worst in the country. Oh, no, here we go. <laughs> it is. The reality of the situation is what it is there, man. They love the Herm is an old school dude. Obviously, he's old, old in life, and he's old NFL dude. Run the ball. He makes Kyle look like uh, the freaking guy who wouldn't Bill punt. Walsh. No, the one guy who never would punt. Uh is he that is coach now the head, somewhere? He's now the head coach of Presbyterian College. Yeah. I mean, throw the ball all over the place. Yeah. Had his quarterback set an NCAA record with 10 touchdown passes a couple weeks back. Yeah. So they're going to try to run the ball. Yeah, obviously, because that's all they can do. Maybe this is the week they finally get it going. But they've been talking about it for the last two weeks, as Gord would say, down air. Where? Down air. Uh, yeah, they, they can't throw the ball with any level of success. I mean, even their own guys say they should have had at least 150 yards more against Vegas, and they didn't. They just it's not not their strength. So, if they're going to beat you, it's going to be on the ground. He, the kid, ran for 125 yards. I think it's fourth or fifth in program history, something like that. Uh, so they'll have opportunity to to prove how good they are. We don't know how good they are. BYU, we got more of an inkling, but you got to do it again. 
Because if you don't do it again, well, yeah, you rose up in that one game and you put all your marbles in that thing and blah, 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 and you got it done. Good for you. But anybody could do that in a singular game. What can you do over... It's like golf, you know? You got 18 holes in these tournaments. There's such grinds. You got 18 holes four times. What can you do over those, those 72 holes? That's what matters. That's how you're judged, right? How you, you're judged over 72 holes. Anybody can get hot, but do you stay hot seven, I mean, uh, 72 holes, four days? Then it's such a grind mentally. And, and you can stay hot. And then yeah. just a couple bad swings. Right. And there's only one shot separating the top guys so many weekends. Top players. Yeah, you can't have a bad hole. No. <laughs> you drop, you're playing great. You're at the top of the leaderboard and you drop one ball on the water in 15 or 16 and it's over. Well, 18 with Phil on the U.S. Open, US the only Open. thing that's eluded him, the on, thing that he wanted really bad and he didn't get it. On top he had of the, the opportunity. Into the tree. Yeah. He had the opportunity, man. If he just bogeyed, he walks away with it, if I remember correctly. How could I be so stupid? So it's such a grind. And it's the same thing with football here. Because that's, that's the challenge. You knew, for the Cougars' perspective, you knew that that was going to be a highly emotional game. And you've known for months, then you would have another Pac-12 South opponent the following week in your stadium. And there won't be near as emotion, but there should be plenty. Of, I'm for BYU fans, I hope you do all in your power to fire the guys up, to get them going. Last time BYU fans stormed the field... Before that Ute win was after the USC win, and the Cougars promptly lost their next three games. Any worries about a repeat? And Drew says, context. BYU also lost QB1, QB2, and RB1 in those games. Yeah, well, what it was, you lost to Toledo, right? And South, you lost to South Florida. And QB2 is now QB1. I was going to say, the guy so that is currently well, he QB1. Wasn't, those are excuses. But you lost, so that's what you do. You come up with excuses. We have no idea what the other team had. Nobody remembers. I have no clue who played for South Florida. It's like we, all these guys, these in-house guys, when the jazz schedule comes out, oh my gosh, they're going to be so gassed. They have this, 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 and this. We never say what the other teams have. It's just our guys. We create excuses because we want them to win so bad and we love them so deeply that if they don't, well, it's got to be some other reason. Not that they weren't good enough. Well, screw that reason. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> we love them dearly. They mean so much to us that we got to come up with The first thing you excuses. do is you count up how many back-to-backs the Jazz have, but you got to count up how many back-to-backs the opponents have because lots of teams come in here on the second night. Guest. Well, the great thing about the NBA is who gives a crap because in the end it's decided it's in the summer. going to come down to the playoffs. Yeah. And did you or didn't you? Jazz had a better record than the Clippers. They had home court, yeah. but they lost four in a row. Right. And Kawhi Leonard was out. Spin it any way you want. The rest of the world is going to say, that's bad. Ooh, Papa P, who we have not heard from in a long time, still lurking out there listening. Calling my shot. What do you got? BYU football wins by four-plus TDs over the Sun Devils. Wow. Take it to the bank. Okay. Hashtag go Cougs. I would love to. You, Papa P, get with us soon, and make sure you uh, give me your Venmo account. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're emptying it out. Yeah, so you are giving me uh, 24 points. Maybe so. Four. 
Ooh, he probably means 28. You're the only one who subtracts the extra points. Take the extra points. Well, touchdown is a touchdown. That's what uh, me and Vegas, we're the only Mm -hmm. two that do it. You're Mm -hmm. right. We're the only two. A touchdown is four, is six. So you're right. Big Mac at Tavita Mac says, oh, I'm sure the Cougs are well aware of this. Knowing it's coming, they will prevent the letdown. Maybe so. Then you got to win the game. You may not have a letdown, but you still got to find ways to win. There's no reason why they, they don't win. This is not a powerhouse over here. I mean, it's clear there is no powerhouse in the South. <laughs> After two quarters, it was 14 to 10. Vegas was in the game. Was close at the half. Now, they did have two long drives at the start, and then they think they gained three total yards in the second half, literally. So there was an adjustment made. And from the devil's standpoint, ah, you got us a couple of drives. Good for you. But but then we adjusted. There was no urgency. We'd watched the film. We knew we were going to win. And we cracked down and dominated you, right? So there's something to be said for that. It's probably the best that the coaches could have. The defensive coaches. Look what they did to you. Oh, yeah, they need something to pick on. Yeah. Last thing they need is you pitching a shutout. Right, 45 zip. Yeah. Against a UNLV team that they're like, that is easily bottom half of the Mountain West. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was probably best case scenario. They won fairly comfortably, but at the same time, they gave up two long drives. And and they so happened to be the first two of the game. And so that's teachable. And they know, they know full well that they're going to have to play a lot better because there's no doubt that the Cougars got ASU's full attention by beating Utah because the last time they Utah and ASU played, they, they were dominated. Three passes, three of 20. 2-0 against the Pac-12 South. Ought to be easy for the ASU coaches to send a message. These guys are good. Yeah. All right, DJ and PK, when we come back, you got a story? Concert story? If you want. Well, I got two stories. Oh, really? Yeah. What's your other one? Uh, Stick around and find it, out. It involves making fun of you. Oh, well, then let's go to the other one. I'd say both. All right, that's next. Stay with us. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Brian Fisher from Athlon Sports. What do you expect this weekend from that Sun Devils-Cougars matchup here in Provo? It's going to be interesting because I'm not quite sure that Arizona State has been playing up to their potential. I mean, this was a team that, you know, frankly, had it not been for the NCAA investigation and everything that's been going on off the field, then you could make a legitimate case this is probably one of the favorites in the Pac-12 South. I don't think they've been quite as sharp offensively. You kind of expect a little bit more, and, and we haven't quite seen that. I think that's kind of reflected in this close line. I mean, BYU is playing well. They've got a lot of momentum coming into this. And, and as you guys know, they take these games against Pac-12 opponents seriously. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if BYU comes in there and just physically makes ASU pay in the trenches in particular in this game. Hanson Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Lenright Mortgage will be live with DJ and PK Friday morning to help you get the lowest rates on your new mortgage or refinance. Listen Friday morning and visit LendRightMortgage.com for more information. All right, you got two stories. You're going to get them both? I'll give you one. Uh, he's going to hold the other one back. Yeah. Which one are we going to get? So last night I go to see John Party. It's party time. He's a country star. 
enjoys music. He's probably a little, well, he's way more country for you, for you than you would, uh, you would want for sure. So it's at the state fair. So we're going to the show, right? We pull into the parking lot and there's three lanes of people that you drive and pay your 10 bucks to park. Right. And I'm in the middle lane. So you go up, you got the window down, you pan the money, they give you the change and the little sticker, you put it on the dashboard, and away you go, right? And so as you're approaching the lady who's going to take the money, you got to stop. Over to my left, uh, three people. There's a gal in the back seat. And they're in a convertible, right? So top is down, obviously. Well, she looks at me because we're stopped. And so they would be, we're on deck, so to speak, with the next car. So we're stopped waiting. Next car to pay the attendant. And so are they to the left. Mm-hmm. Gown back seat is actually even with me in the front seat. I had the window down. She looks at me. She says, hey, cowboy. <laughs> <laughs> what are you, Chevy Chase in vacation, man? <laughs> Wife's asleep going down the road. <laughs> Christy Brinkley pulled up alongside you. I look at her. Yuck. <laughs> and she kind of gives me a heads up. Hey, cowboy. <laughs> hey, look at her. That's rude. <laughs> I got right there in the passenger seat. I got my best dame. My best dame is right there. My old lady. Now, I realize I'm a chick magnet. That has been well evidenced over the years. I mean, I can't do anything, you know, have them uh, not say something. You know what I mean? I mean, come on. PK, take it off, baby. Right. Right. I mean, I can't I look tell hot you. And leather. What can I say? How many times people, uh, chicks have said that to me? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a fact. So right then what there. happens? I look at her like, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> hey, cowboy. First of all, I got a hat on, a, a Hurley cap. Hurley makes beachwear. Not a lot of cowboys at the beach. No. <laughs> the last roundup on the sand. Now, I realize we're going to a country concert, but I don't have a cowboy hat on. I don't have Wranglers on. I don't have boots on. I got a T-shirt that says Jack's, which is a surf shop. Down in Hermosa. And I got a Hurley cap, which is, they make like skateboards and, and beachwear. They're well known for their beachwear. And she says to me, hey, cowboy. Hey, cowboy. And I got a woman sitting right there. Yep, there she is, riding shotgun. I faced a dilemma. What to do? You laughed. I am tired of going out in public and getting hit on. (laughs) BK's been objectified so many times. Yes, I'm sick of it now. She doesn't know anything about your mind, anything about your sense of humor, anything about your intellect, how deeply you care about other people. She just objectified your physical presence. I mean, it's impressive, yes. (laughs) We understand that. We do. <laughs> we collectively. The yes. Collectively. The royal we. BK and the frog in his pocket. <laughs> See, the great thing about getting older. Did your wife hear this? Does she have anything funny to say as a response? She heard it, yeah. What'd she say? She's like, 
<laughs> like, what? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, they're like five feet away from you, I, ten feet I, away. <laughs> I can think hey, cowboy, of, with I kind can, of a grin. I can think of a bunch of funny responses from your wife, but apparently she didn't go there. <laughs> well, I mean, she's. I, I think she felt proud. <laughs> she got herself quite a catch. Yes, clearly, of course, of course right? Obviously, but the great thing as you get older is the standards lower dramatically. <laughs> you got a pulse? <laughs> well, not. I mean, Chris Hill once told me. We were talking. We were killing time. Mm-hmm. I think it was before a Vegas game or something. Vegas. I think it might have been before the Vegas Bowl. BYU Utah. And we killed. We got there early. I mean, we were, Hans and I were doing the post or pregame out out uh, on the field there, so we had plenty of time to walk over. He says, "Yeah, you know, you look good." I said, well, "What do you mean?" He said, "Well, you don't have a big gut, and you got your hair." <laughs> Low standards. I see where you're going. <laughs> so the great thing about that, I mean, yeah, you can have the ugliest face in the world, I guess. But if you don't have a gut, which I don't think I've got, and I got my hair, which that's just a luck of the draw. I know. Right? <laughs> what did you do to earn that? Yeah, yeah. Is that is that is that somewhat genetic? Yes. I think it's very genetic. Is it? Is it? <laughs> yeah. But I've heard like it skips a generation or whatnot. And it's supposed to be more maternal dominant, so it's not so much what your dad's hairline oh, really? is. As, yeah. So like you want to check your mom's father is what I've been told. Mm-hmm. I've not done a lot of research into this. But it does hold in my family as far as my mom's. But, but my brother has the exact same genetics, and my youngest brother lost his hair at 30. 30, huh? Gone. Yeah. Hairline, straight back. And he's gone aerodynamic. He never messed with it. He went aerodynamic and... I don't know how you mess with it. Well, as far as you can get plugs or you can get a toupee or you can, you know... A toupee? Does anybody do that anymore? Some people do. Not very often, though. It's not nearly the thing it was. But then there's... You you see a few out there in crowds. You do? Yeah, but when you people watch, when you go to a a game or go to a concert, every once in a while you see it, yeah. Oh. No, but I think the hair plugs are way more common now. So it's your mother, because my father, did, he had a full head of hair and didn't really ever turn gray. It got a little white at the end. I mean, 85. Yeah, yeah But right. up through his 70s, I, I, we, I took him out for his 80th birthday. We rented, we both went to L.A., rented a convertible and drove up to Santa Barbara. And I got pictures at, at 80, and he didn't look 80. The hair was there. Yeah. So I didn't know if it was how it got. But Chris, Chris is right him. about, yeah, the, and you're right about the lower the bar. And Chris is right about if you keep the weight off. And the thing is, you can even have a little bit of a role, and people don't even care at that point. Sex <laughs> sells, PK. What sells? Sex sells, PK. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I've made a lot of money. All right, DJ and PK. So PK's getting hit on at concerts, so yeah, ponder that. Hey, Cowboy. When we come back, here we go. I mean, we're two games into the football season already. Here come NBA predictions. Well, geez, the first practice preseason game is like two weeks, three I know, weeks. I know, I know it is. <laughs> I know, you're right. All right, we will get to the preseason predictions for the Jazz. Are you buying it? And if you haven't heard it yet, it may surprise you. We will get to that next. Stay with us.
Join Hans and Scotty at the University Federal Credit Union's grand opening. Their Lehigh Meadowbrook branch opens Monday the 20th, and Hans and Scotty will be there from 10 to 2. 101 North, 1200 East in Lehigh. NBA predictions are coming out. ESPN projecting the Jazz to win 55 games, finish the top spot in the West, two games in front of the Lakers. Who's buying it? Are you in or are you out? Our Paul Tent says, I'm guessing they're facting in injuries that are bound to happen with both teams. Probably affect the Lakers more. That seems about right to me. Jazz on 55 wins in first place. Lakers, 53 wins, finishing second. Yeah. I, was... I can buy, well, they just finished in the top spot. It wouldn't shock me if they did again. With all the no, I'm expecting age. It. Around the conference, I would expect lots of players being rested. In the past, occasionally you try to avoid a matchup or hit a matchup, but it seems like rest has been the overwhelming priority. I think the Lakers and the Jazz, though, are the only age teams. Yeah, Brooklyn's got the age over in the East. Are the Suns going to rest Chris Paul? They've got a bunch of young guys, but they got a key older guy. They don't have the age to the roster the way the Jazz and Lakers do. But if they rest Chris Paul, what happens? Chris Paul refuses to rest. That's the one thing he hasn't done. Now he's been injured, so that has taken care of it. But he wasn't injured last year. I mean, I guess he got injured in the playoffs, but he still played through it. I don't think he missed any games. So if I'm looking at age, you've got the Jazz with some nucleus uh, at 33 or older. And obviously the Lakers are way old. And Denver's young. Portland, I don't view them as an old team. They didn't. They didn't really get older, did they? Am I missing anybody? What about the Warriors? <clears throat> Curry's not a spring chicken anymore. Is he thirty-three? I think so. Yes. Don't know when his birthday falls. When? Uh, but who else on that team is old? Draymond Green. How old is he? Draymond's in his early thirties now. Get Clay Thompson coming off multiple major injuries. Right. Yeah, that won't be so much age as you know how but healthy does he. I think feel. he's upper twenties now. So yeah, but upper twenties. That's nothing wrong with that. Most guys don't win until. I would in be that surprised age. if the Jazz finished with the best record in the West I on wouldn't. fifty-five wins. I wouldn't be surprised if they're number one, but not at fifty-five. Somebody in the West is going to win more than fifty-five games, and it may be uh, them. Fifty-five seems low for the top spot. Not necessarily. Not to me. Talking about one or two games more, start getting to 57, 58. That's that has happened in the past. It could happen again. There's usually a 60 win team in the West, but, yeah, but, it's, so but it's been done at 57. So loaded. <laughs> it's been loaded before. <laughs> this isn't the first time we've said that. We've said that more than we haven't said it. Sure, but there was. A, a mindset of playing all the time. Yes, and I think and that, that is that the reason it's gone. Right, whether it's age or injury or just the heck of routine. It. Everyone no else is doing it, so we're going to do it too. Yeah, yeah. So 
I, I 55, 56, 57, what difference does it make? Uh, the, to me, health is a significant issue, obviously, but it's no more of an issue for one team versus another right now. And with that in mind, if they have it, uh, I don't see any reason why they don't have the best record in the West. Did it last year, why not do it again? Fewer games, maybe they could have been caught. The more games you play, the more games Conley's going to miss. Ten more games on the schedule this year. Yeah. The plans to play 82. Last year they played 72. Well, I mean, yeah. I don't know what's the plan. I mean, it's just the way it is. The the talent is there. This is a complete and total win-now mode. And I was thinking about this. I think out of negative situations, you can take positives. And with Mitchell losing his explosiveness and still going 39-9 and in that last game, it's like he had to learn how to play at 32-33. And he did. So for him, his greatness, he's got so many more years to come because he couldn't explode, but yet he still found ways to be effective. And I think that obviously you lose your athleticism little by little as you get older. Now, he's only 24, or I think he turns 25 this month, right? He may have, his birthday's coming up. Uh, so he still can be very explosive. He'll look that up. Give him I'm looking it up. Give yeah. him something to do. You're in, the middle of, uh, you're in the middle of a long take here. I got time. All right, I'm done. I think you're right. I think that adding that to your game at that age, when clearly he still should be very athletic, he just turned 25 actually earlier this month. Yeah. Clearly, he should still be very athletic for another five years, whatever you start to lose in the 30s, whatever. But to have that knowledge that I know how to score even when I don't dare get airborne and land on that ankle, and when the other team starts to figure that out and you still light him up, that can only be a positive. Assume he's going to be healthy now. Most definitely, yeah. So it's just more variation in your game, more different ways to score. Great. Yeah. So he's got so much great basketball ahead of him that it's just incredible. And he's going to get better, too. That's what's amazing to think that he's he's a kid now, but he's going to blossom even more so. So with that in mind, and the guys around him, because you need guys around you, it doesn't matter who you are. Just look at Lillard. You know, he's awesome. Hall of Famer, for sure but they're struggling to, to get to the playoff and, and get out of the first round because he didn't have a lot of help around him. Well, the Jazz have a lot of help around him. With that in mind, man, there's no reason why they don't continue to get better. Yeah, absolutely, I think. The, the additions, we're excited about them. We're not sure. It'll be something we'll watch, obviously. And if they come through, they'll be a better team than last year. On paper, I believe they're better. It, well, yeah, you just put the qualifier, if they come through. Right. And we've seen signings that have come through. We've seen signings that have surprised us. Guys have been better than we expected. We've also seen signings that have been a major disappointment, and guys have been off the team before the first of the year. Yeah, one guy. Or to the bench before the first of the year. More so. Which is basically the same thing anyway. Right. Uh, I'm anticipating that these these individuals will be able to uh, be 
additions that will help. They will not be just disappointments. Because the great thing about it, the better your team, the less you need out of those additions. So you don't need Whiteside to be what he was. There's uh, a lot to be 20 whatever. Yeah. There's a lot to be said for yeah. that. How much you expect guys to do, the player is the player. And then depending on how much you need out of him, it gets viewed as a success or a bust. Yeah. And that's the whole deal with the buyouts, which is the reason not to get too crazy on these preseason predictions. Rosters are going to change. There's going to be injuries. There's going to be trades. Teams will fill holes in their roster with whoever gets bought out late in the year. And you're getting bought out because you're not delivering because you're expected usually to do a lot, if not everything, for your team. And you can't do that. Either you never could, or maybe you can't do it anymore. Advancing age, losing all that athletic ability. But then you go somewhere where you just got to do one or two things that you do best, and now you look really good again. Because you're not carrying the whole load. Yeah, uh, I don't know that the guys that they added were ever able to carry the whole load. It's still about the stars. Yeah. And the fact that the Jazz stars should be getting better should be exciting. Should be helpful. Uh, is Gobert getting better, though? No, I was talking about Mitchell. Oh, you said stars. Know. Yeah, that's a question. Is Gobert getting better? I assume when, you said, when you said stars, I assume you included him. I was talking about stars on other teams. I was thinking plural stars. League-wide meaning, stars. Yes, meaning the Jazz star, the Lakers star. Gotcha. Down the line, the okay. Warriors star. Okay. But that's still a good question. Is Gobert getting better? In the couple specific areas I have questions, largely I think he is who he is. But I think the free throw line with him is a wild card. I think he should be mid-60s. Could he get better and shoot 70%? That would be a plus if he did, for sure. Or does he miss some big ones? All of a sudden, he's struggling to get to 60%. Can't completely rule that out. Yeah, I really haven't so seen him room there. where they've lost games because he's sucked at the free throw line. I not, don't think it's purely. an epidemic with him. He goes and streaks. Uh, so I, I think he is who he is there, and it's okay. You know, I don't know that I want him on the line with the uh, NBA Finals uh, uh, riding on it. <laughs> You're flashing back to Kareem. Hey, Kareem, hit these two big free throws. Well, there was somebody who I was flashing back to. Carl. He didn't hit him, yeah. Uh, so, uh, but, you know, he's probably not going to get the ball in that situation anyway. And if he gets the ball, that means he's got a dunk attempt. And so I, I don't. That doesn't keep me awake at night at all. His free free throw ability. I'm not sure he's going to get better. I don't anticipate him adding anything to his game that we haven't already seen. Agreed. But that doesn't mean he's not a star. Whereas Mitchell, I'm just going to sit back and have a smile on my face and watch that kid go because I think he can get better. He can get wiser. He's talked about it. You know, talked about more fit, better efficiency, a better facilitation, all those things. Sure, yeah, he can get better at all of them. He's already awesome. In my mind, he's already all league caliber. And can he take the next step, whatever that next step is? I don't know what the next step is. I can't really define it right now. 
because I think he's so awesome as is. But I believe he can take it, even though I'm not really sure what that entails. I believe he can. He will get better. What does that mean? What does that mean in raw statistics? What does that mean in um, unidentifiable stuff that aren't we aren't like Gobert? We went nuts on the screen assist. Well, we're never going to go nuts on on Mitchell's screen assist. That's not going to be a part of his game. But we're going to see improvement, and it may be like watching your kid grow. You can't really see it in the moment, but if you look at pictures over time, you saw it. But that's and that's what I think happened in the Clippers series. Nobody saw it happening, but he was limited. He wasn't explosive as far as blowing by somebody to get to the hoop. He couldn't get airborne because he didn't dare land on the thing. His options were reduced, and he went for 39 against a team who thought, that's our primary problem, we got to make sure that guy doesn't go berserk. And he went for 39. And see, I think that's good, though. It is good. Because I, I think it's a major step forward. I don't want him. him going airborne and all that stuff. The more airborne you go, the, the more chances chance coming down and going wrong. Going up. Right. Yeah. And they think that, too. It's why they taught him that, I don't know, what is four years ago or whatever it was, they suddenly taught everybody to do that scoop laying where you don't even jump. Hey. You get the shot off, the shot blocker won't see it coming, and you don't put yourself at risk. Literally shot the way, and it wasn't just one guy. They changed Exum, they changed Donovan Mitchell, they changed Joe Ingles. Multiple guys, the way they're shooting that layup. Conley wasn't on the team at that point. I don't think Mitchell can be better than Lillard, but I think he'd be as good. Take as good with a good team around him. No no, no doubt. I mean, no doubt. Lillard's yeah. just... Lillard. And see, there's two ways to measure it. One... The regular season stats. Not three, two? Only two that I can think of. But okay. you'll come up with a third because you know I'm getting this wrong. You just haven't decided how yet. All right, I'll pay attention. One, the scoring average keeps going up. We judge stars by that. Guys get to 30 points a game. We lose our mind. Wall's ability to score in huge numbers is why he's got 90-plus million over the next two years. And we were talking about that yesterday. And another team's given up on him. I don't, know, don't build around this guy. So one, Donovan could do that in the regular season. His stats could go off the charts even more. Two, you're better in the biggest moments in the playoffs. The team's struggling to score. Oh my gosh, that team just hit another three. Donovan just goes down and hits a three and quiets the crowd. You get even better in the bigger moments. You get That's what Lillard's got. Cold-blooded in the biggest moments, nobody doubts him. Yeah, first round. Right. And they don't get beyond that very often. Now, he was in one conference final a couple of years ago. That's on but, his team, not on him. Right. In the biggest moments, you think, well, he'll hit a three to win the series. And they'll knowing that, they'll defend him to hit a three to win in another series a couple of years later. And so he'll back out to 37 feet and hit it and wave bye-bye. I don't think he'll have uh, Lewis range. But I don't think that's necessary. Just be able to score behind Nobody the three-point Nobody remembers Jordan's line. taking 35, 40-footers. <laughs> right. Right. It's, be- it's becoming a thing. But whatever. Just find a way to score however you do it. Go to the free throw line. It's not well, it's not a highlight, but it's wildly have your team efficient. Win. Yeah. LeBron has got p- plenty of game winning passes, as we know MJ does, obviously. Game winning passes, yeah. game winning rundown block, game winning oh, yeah, three pointers well, straight away. Whatever you need, just provide what you need in that moment. So that's why I'm not concerned about his statistical. Output because I think that'll take care of itself. His stats will be fine no matter what they are. Uh, 
It's going to be a bunch of little things. I don't know that we'll be able to see it and identify it, but we'll know it's there because it's going to be reflected in his ability to have his team win. He's a superstar. Without question, he's a superstar. And now it's gotten to the point it's his ability to get his team to win in the playoffs. Yes. The regular season, and you've yelled at me about caring about the regular season and regular season results too much, but I think when you're climbing, it really matters. But now they have been to the top spot, and they know they can do it, and the core of that team is back. So it really oh, is about what they do They're not paying all this money in luxury tax to lose. <laughs> it really is about what they do in the playoffs. They... They've proven everything they can prove in the regular season. They have For the sure. best record Agreed. in the NBA. Yes. So now, more than ever, what can you do in the playoffs? Yes, definitely. And if you'd won it all without getting the best record in the league, well, nobody would care. But you have had the best record in the league, so it really is on the playoffs now. All right, coming up next, back to football, Lincoln Kennedy called a crazy Monday night game with Brent Musburger yelling jackpot a half dozen times. The game was over, but it wasn't over. We'll talk with him about that and where the Raiders sit as the injuries pile up and the Pac-12 after two weeks and already a coaching change. Lincoln is next. Stay with us. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Brian Fisher from Athlon Sports. What do you expect this weekend from that Sun Devils-Cougars matchup here in Provo? It's going to be interesting because I'm not quite sure that Arizona State has been playing up to their potential. I mean, this is a team that, you know, frankly, had it not been for the NCAA investigation and everything that's been going on off the field, that you could make a legitimate case this is probably one of the favorites in the Pac-12 South. I don't think they've been quite as sharp offensively. You kind of expect a little bit more, and, and we haven't quite seen that. I think that's kind of reflected in this close line. I mean, BYU is playing well. They've got a lot of momentum coming into this. And, and as you guys know, they take these games against Pac-12 opponents seriously. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if BYU comes in there and just physically makes ASU pay in the trenches in particular in this game. Hanson Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We are joined once again by Lincoln Kennedy, analyst for the Pac-12 Networks and Raiders radio analyst. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah's in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is the solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Lincoln, good morning. Gentlemen, how the hell are you? <laughs> We're good. We're just wondering how you are. I was sitting next to Brent Musper while he yelled jackpot so <laughs> many times. It was a crazy Monday night game that looked like it was over multiple times, but it isn't over till it's over. True story. True story. You're absolutely right. And uh, it was it was funny because the the first jackpot we thought that the game ended when Brian Edwards, you know, looked like he crossed the goal line, but but you know we were trying to. I was trying to slow him down because I saw the referee going over to the monitor to check the replay. I'm like, wait a minute, this is not clear, even though the, the guys were out in the field shaking hands and everything else. So we had to play a little bit more, but you know the Raiders were able to finish it, and, and it, was, it was a great game. First game with fans in there, right, as far as yeah. uh, the Raiders. How was the atmosphere? Uh, electric. I mean, really, it, that's the best way to describe it. It was... It, there was a frenzy even before the game started. Um, you know, I, I think you know going into Vegas, uh, just personally speaking, a lot of people thought that you know this is going to be different. It's going to be you know how Vegas, Vegas is about glitz and entertainment. But you know to have Gladys Knight sing the national anthem, 
Then you had Too Short and Ice Cube doing the halftime show. You had a, a host of celebrities all through the monitor every time there was a TV timeout and everything else. Uh, it, was, it was something to see. Uh, and, and I think the fans really enjoyed it because there, it's been, you know, I've been affiliated with the Raiders for quite some time, but never have I found an electricity quite like that was uh, on Monday night. So I'm curious, is there any uh, sense in Vegas how many of those fans were from Vegas and are now embracing the team? How many are people who flew in from Oakland? Because those people are hardcore. And how many people drove up from L.A.? Because they still got a pretty good fan base from there from their days in the 80s and 90s. Well, the Raider Nation has always been well-traveled. It doesn't, it doesn't matter where you are. I remember when playing, my playing days, didn't matter where we went, um, there was always a good uh, foundation of fans that were going to support and go and travel with the team. So it's anyone's guess where they all came from. But the, the fact is, is that they showed up. The Raiders now have a true home in Allegiant Stadium. And I think the fans that showed that, that were there really appreciated the fact that this was the Raiders' home. More importantly, the way it showed on TV, I know there are a lot of people who were mad that they missed it. I was really impressed with just the ability to come back because it looked like they had the potential to get the game get away from them. Yeah. Because it looked like it was all about Baltimore early, obviously, and then we know what happened. I'm wondering, as I watch Carr, it seems to me, and you would know much better, that he has the potential to be an elite quarterback in this league. What would you say to that? I think he's always had that potential. It's just his discretion and his decision-making. One of the things that stood out to me about Carr in that, in that last performance on Monday night is the fact that 19 times he tried to go to Darren Waller, and he completed 10 of the passes. Um, it, it seemed almost forced. It wasn't until the second half to where I think things settled down. And, look, I've been one of those guys who's all along said, I think everyone needs a preseason for nothing more than timing and just getting into a, a, a sort of a groove on how the game day works. Um, there were a lot of timing passes that, that Carr missed. Um, uh, and he settled down the second half and made a lot of completions, a lot more completions than he did in the first half. But uh, I think the, the, the possibility of being, quote-unquote, elite has always been a part of him because he's a, he's a quarterback that's capable of making all the throws. I just don't know when it gets later in the season if – He's not so predictable and, 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 and so, you know, so well-read that, that he can't separate himself from everyone else. So what happened? I always think of the Ravens, whether their defense is good or great. It never seems to be worse than good. Mm-hmm. And suddenly in the fourth quarter, the Raiders are shedding it. I mean, they're, they're down. They needed three separate scores in the fourth quarter. They're behind yeah. three times. And they got all three to get to OT. What did they do? What, what changed everything? Turnovers. The, the Ravens had turnovers. Um, Lamar Jackson fumbled the ball a couple times, most notably in, uh, in, in overtime uh, when they got the ball back after the interception. Look, the, the, the thing is that the, I think the Raiders were fortunate to win this football game, um, but they, they got a little bit of a hint to what's going to go on this season. Teams are going to walk into the Raiders or play the Raiders noting, noting that they want to take Darren Waller out of the equation. Derek Carr has to recognize that. You can't force the ball to a guy who's being double covered. You've got to go somewhere else. And it wasn't until he started going other places to where the, open, the offense actually opened up. Um, and they were fortunate enough to have time to do that. More importantly, with the turnovers and the miscues by, by Lamar Jackson, um, he played right into their hands. 
being very careless and loose with the ball allowed the Raiders to stay into it, and most notably, after the interception on the uh, on the goal line in overtime, and when the the Ravens had the ball, you know, to to miscalculate a blitz or adjusting the, the formation of blitz, you let a defensive end come free off the right side. Carl Nassib, that's who calls the, uh, the the fumble on Lamar Jackson being careless with the football. That's what led to the uh, to the demise of the Ravens. Yeah, I was going to ask you about uh, Jackson, uh, MVP, electric, and all that. But does he got what it takes through the throw? As Kyle Whittingham would say, the throw game for him to take that next step. He does. They they have to have a run game. Unfortunately, they've been hampered by injuries. We saw yeah. some flashes out of Tyson Williams um, um, over the, the, the you know Monday night. He was able to come through. I think Latavius Murray was was a great addition for him. But Latavius still has to learn the the offense. Um, as well as any other running backs they want to have back there. But they have to have a running game. They have to be balanced. Um, they don't have enough on the receiver side to really open things up other than Marquise Brown. And when you look at uh, the Ravens' Lamar Jackson, um, there are still some times he struggles with his reads and struggles with reading defenses. Um, but the fact is, is that he's such an electric player. He can do things on his legs. I think he wants to show this season what I got from him in one game is that he wants to show that he can do it with his arm. And I think that's a mistake. You have to be balanced, take what the defense gives you, and more importantly, when they, when they open up a holes for you to run, use it. The NFL season is longer than ever now with 17 games, so there's yeah. plenty of time to get off to a good start and wreck it. There's plenty of time to get off to a bad start and rally and save it. But the division did go 4-0. Any surprises in the AFC West, or you saw it all coming? No, I, you know what I, I said all along when they were when they were talking about the overall competition for the, the, the division that we know what you're going to get out of Kansas City. That's already been established over the last couple of years. I think the Chargers are on the rise. Obviously, now they've got a quarterback. They just mismanaged some games, you know, collectively last season, which I thought they would have a better record. Uh, and then Denver eventually is going to figure it out. They had too many good pieces not to figure it out, but they're going to figure it out. And, and whether it's with you know Teddy Bridgewater or they decide to go somewhere else, Denver is always going to be competitive. So it's going to be a competitive division. And that's why when people were talking about the over and under for the Raiders, I said, look, with the schedule they have playing the, uh, the AFC uh, East uh, and then um, and as well as play, or North, I should say, as well as playing the NFC East, um, it, it, there's – it's going to be a very tough, difficult schedule. And the Raiders, you know, look, were very scarred from Monday night. They were able to come with the win, but yesterday, guys, they had 17 yeah. guys on the injured list. Uh, and, and three guys were, uh, two guys were lost for the season, Denzel Good and Gerald McCoy. Uh, so it was a very hard price to pay for the win on Monday night. You have been consistent on your thoughts on the preseason and we've seen uh, Aaron Rodgers basically take the whole year off, nothing yeah. that he did in the off season, and then he goes out and stinks. You draw a direct correlation there. Yes, I do. I do. You know, look, understanding and uh, understanding situations, and scenarios is one thing, and I think pros and veterans like Aaron Rodgers can do that. But there's a timing that's that that comes with the game and a game feel. There's there's. There's a rhythm that you get in. There's a certain type of energy that you exude when you're playing actually a football game rather than going through practice. Practice, you're just trying to get through it. 
your brother-in-law and across the board. I remember as an offensive lineman that I would never try to take out my my frustrations and my aggressions on my teammates. You know, the, the, the practice. I didn't want to hurt anybody. But when you come to a game, I, I, I saw red. You had a different colored helmet on. I was trying to take your head off. I was trying to decapitate you. That's a different energy, even if it was even the preseason. Even if I was only playing two series, it's still the energy that's that's there. Um, the reason why I think preseason is necessary is because there's a rhythm that you get in when you go through a game time situation. Everything from the setup to the pregame to the introduction, everything, the game time, managing your energy, everything, that's all different. That can only be displayed in practice when you do it. Preseason to me is essential for everyone. And you don't have to have a lot of it. But you still have to have the essential of building up and working towards that. And I think you saw Derek Carr was it was the main example. But you guys mentioned Aaron Rodgers. The timing was off. The timing with his receivers on crossing routes that takes time. I mean that, that that takes doing. You have to do it full speed, not just practice. That takes you doing. Now, so when you when you talk about preseason, from everyone from offensive line to quarterbacks, everyone across the board, everyone needs to see some snaps to get into a rhythm and understand that lather of what it, what it means to be in a game-day situation. Lincoln Kennedy joining us, Raiders radio analyst and Pac-12 network analyst. So the Pac-12 South, we had it all figured out, except USC's lost their head coach, ASU's <laughs> lost three assistant coaches, USC or Utah's lost a game to a rival, USC's lost a conference game, and UCLA took down LSU. How much are you rethinking what you thought about the Pac-12 South? How much do you still believe what you thought about the Pac-12 South? You know what? It's, 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 it's anyone's guess where the Pac-12 collectively as a whole. I mean, my, my, my alma mater started as an old two. Um, you know, going into last weekend, I remember sharing the, the information with Greg Heiser because we did the Wazoo-Portland State game on the Pac-12 network that – you know, after Oregon beat Ohio State, it, it could very well be a great day because Colorado led Texas A&M, so on and so forth. Um, but as we sit right now, I, I think that the, it's really unfortunate because, it, it, you know, SC is trying to make its mind of where they're going to go. And there's been several rumors out there about different coaches' possibilities from Eric the Enemy, the offensive coordinator of Kansas City Chiefs, to other people, so on and so forth. SC has to make a splash because SC is that big and that grand of a program. Um, it's great for UCLA to take down LSU. It's great for the Pac-12 to show that they can beat an SEC uh, school uh, when that hasn't happened in quite some time in the past. Um, but at the same point, the big markers for the Pac-12 aren't doing so well. And um, that includes SC as well as UW. Um, it's going to be anyone's guess on how they finish. But, you know, I, I think there's still a lot of football to be played. We'll see what SC figures out or where they go from there. But I think SC has to make a splash with the namesake because SC is SC. But I just don't know where you go. Urban Meyer's not going to leave the, lane, the game, uh, leave Jacksonville. Um, and it would cost too much to try to get him out. I, don't, I still don't think he's gone. So I, I just don't know where SC goes to make that splash. So you got that Washington connection as being one of their more uh, famous alums as a football player up there. I, I'm thinking maybe you have some inside information. I'm thinking Chris Peterson. I mean, this dude is really good, and he's only 56 years old. Yeah, you know what? Here's the thing. I talked to Coach Peterson when he first left, and um, he said that he was just worn out. He was worn out of everything that goes on, the rigors of college football. 
And I can understand that. And, and there's usually, look, when, when it's in your blood, it's in your blood, just like Urban Meyer, eventually you come back. I just don't know if, if uh, you know, Jennifer Cohen, the athletic director of UW, can do enough to cite him to get back. Um, uh, and I don't know if he wants to come back. Right. Sometimes, you know, it's, it's a very cushy job sitting in the studio on Fox Sports, guys, talking <laughs> about football when you just, get, just sit there in the green room all day and watch it. You know what I mean? Yep. I, trust me, I know. So I don't know if he wants to come back. I think SC is an even more enticing job, though, with name, image, and likeness. There's no cheating anymore. It's go time. <laughs> There's you can cheating. make this happen. There's always cheating. Okay, there is always cheating. There could be academic fraud, so that hasn't changed a bit. That's still right. over there. But as far as some rich USC booster in Orange County or Hollywood or whatever, hooking up a player, go get him, Tiger. Yeah, that's NIL. NIL is best. I mean, it, you, you, look at, you look at college football as a whole, there's amateur free agency with the transfer reporter, and there's NIL. And unfortunately, you know, there are a lot of universities around the country who want to sit back on their laurels and say, you know what, we offer a high education or we offer this or that. We don't need to compete but, or, or try to get involved in stuff like NIL and paying students or paying athletes um, uh, that money. But the truth of the matter is that if you don't, you're missing the pot. I mean, you really are. You, you're, really, you're missing the boat. The fact is is that if you don't, other places are, and they're playing well. And so all of a sudden that becomes a factor in recruiting. That becomes a factor in, uh, for players' decision-making. And, and next thing you know, you've got school, one school who's loaded way more up on a talent level than others ones around them. So a week ago, Lincoln, I was ready to bench Anthony Brown. Shows you how much I know. Now I think he's a favorite to win the Heisman. Anthony Brown, really? <laughs> no, I'm kidding on the ladder. Oh, <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding on the ladder, but I, I just did not expect them to go into Columbus and win. And he looked great, and they won. Yeah, you know what? I will say this: um, Anthony Brown, in the first two games, hasn't looked as solid as I think you need for a championship caliber quarterback. Uh, and what I mean by that is, you know, getting them in the college football playoff and really making a, a, a stay. But the run game has, and Oregon needs to understand that. Um, Anthony Brown needs to understand, uh, has to have more trust in his offensive line, which I think will come. And more importantly, he needs to stop you know, deciding to run so much because I think he's going to be beat up throughout the season. He's taken some really big hits the first couple of games I watched. So, um, uh, you know, to me, it's, it's like he's got to have more confidence in his offensive line, more confidence in his receivers, find ways to throw the ball instead of throwing you know, a little check down or short routes be able to stretch the field, but more importantly, utilize that run game. And, and I think Oregon's best aspect is that run game. I think they'll get to it. I think Mario Cristobal and his staff have learned any, something after the first two games. They'll try to put all the illness on their quarterback. Let's use this run game. And, of course, they had a big time uh, one in, in Ohio State with running the football. We will leave it right there, Lincoln. We appreciate the time, as always, and we will talk to you again next week. Always a pleasure, guys. You be well. Lincoln Kennedy, Pac-12 Network Analyst, Raider Radio Analyst, joining us every week here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Matt Ortiz, co-host of the Sons of Montezuma podcast covering San Diego State football, will join us at 9.05 to talk Aztecs and Utes. Stay with us, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Question of the day. Well, look who responded, PK. Oh, my. They're all listening. We will get to that next. A reminder, join Hanson Scotty at University Federal Credit Union's grand opening of their Lehigh Meadowbrook branch Monday the 20th from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. 101 North, 1200 East in Lehigh. 
The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. Utah tight end Cole Fotheringham with us. You guys put the rivalry game behind you quite yet? You moving on to San Diego State? Yes, sir. We got the film in this morning. We're going to make the corrections, and now our focus is on uh, San Diego State. Coaches like to use these situations as teaching moments. What did you see that stood out to you as needing improvement? I think that, you know, as a team, we came out maybe a little too confident, and BYU had a great game plan, and they played a great game. They gave it to us, all the respect to those guys, and we learned from our mistakes, and we're ready to get after the next opponent. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O Tires. The team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. The Utah RV Super Show is back at the Mountain America Expo Center in Sandy, September 16th through the 19th. Join the Big Show Thursday and Friday from 2 to 7 p.m. See the newest technology and the latest trends in RVs. Question of the morning out there. The BYU football team beats Utah. The fans storm the field. Oh, and media. Believe me. (laughs) The last time... I wondered where you disappeared to. The Cougars did that. was after the USC win, and BYU probably lost the next three games. Any worries about a repeat? Got to be worries. Willie, how little bro Ute says, in a way, shouldn't you fans be thanking us? So many of them struggle with counting beyond 10. What? <laughs> Does that have anything to do with? <laughs> no, it's beyond 20 after you used your toes. Take the socks off. <laughs> Reno Mahe, at Reno Mahe, tweets DJ, you would ask that. Laughing, crying tears emoji. Actually, I asked it. You did. (laughs) But he doesn't know that because he's not on the Facebook page. But to get more responses, I copied and pasted it on my Twitter feed. But I replied to him, you didn't answer, dot, dot, dot. Should I read into that? Oh, nice. Throw it right back at him. Right? And then then I gave him the rock (laughs) with the arched eyebrows staring into the camera. Should I read into that? Okay. Well, it's interesting, though, because it's worth a discussion. We saw when BYU and Utah played, what was it, the uh, second year they were in the conference? They had a big emotional game, and then Utah's first trip to Tempe absolutely got annihilated. It's one of these games that you knew literally was over after the first quarter. That's very rare. But you knew, sitting in a press box that day, you knew full well this game is over. They can't compete. They That was one of the worst, if not the worst, Pac-12 games they've had against a team Didn't of that caliber. Didn't lose heartbreaker, just got crushed. They really, right from the start. They did. They it was shocking. They, they weren't in it. And yeah. it's probably been over 10 years, maybe four or five of those games. Cal, they had one Cal, Cal at, the, at the Giants baseball Oregon stadium. at a Pac-12 but, title but game. But see, that's him. Oregon. Yeah. We're talking about... Cal and ASU. There's a big difference between Oregon, Oregon at their peak and then Cal at ASU. Yeah. yeah. Oregon picking up win number eleven. Right. If you're gonna if you're gonna pick, okay, I, I got three games here, you're gonna get blown out in one of them. Which one are you gonna pick? You're gonna go to that one. Even though you had a really good team that year, you're still gonna go to that one. 
So there was an emotional letdown. And then why in the world did BYU lose three games after that? Yeah, I don't care how many injuries you had. Yeah, Steve tweets at us. They lost Zach Wilson to a broken thumb at Toledo. He missed two games during this stretch. So really, they just lost to Washington, who was a clearly better team than them. I'll give you Washington was a clearly better team. They played a two-game series with Washington. They got worked both times. So that's, that's actually a pretty healthy argument right there. Zach played most of the Toledo game and got hurt right at the very end. Was the uh, second to last drive, wasn't it? it yeah, was the game. He was chasing. He threw a pick, and he was chasing a guy down. Yeah, and he got hurt, and so he didn't play the last drive. So that's weak, is what you're saying? Exactly. I'm not buying that. I'll buy Washington was a better team, and I can buy if they okay. had Zach. Maybe South Florida goes differently. But we've watched too much college Zach was football. A freshman. There are two stories. There are plenty of teams that have won big games in college football, and then had a letdown and not won the next week. That is, this is not a new story. This happens all the time. I've seen it before. It happens all the time. You're closing the door. You leave the, the world, world behind. behind. <laughs> Yako's going to his happy place. Brandon looks at that question about BYU and they lost the three next games after USC and just sends back the Michael Scott, get from the office. Why are you the way you are? Probably, why why probably am I talk, not the way I am? Probably talking to Co- to uh, Toby in HR. <laughs> <laughs> why are you the way you are? <laughs> All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. The Utes, after a big loss, will they let it multiply into another loss? They play San Diego State. In a semi-neutral field in Carson, California, Matt Ortiz, co-host of the Sons of Montezuma podcast, will join us next. Stay with us. Weaver State fans, your ninth-ranked football team takes on number 3 ranked James Madison this Saturday, September 18th, 6 p.m. Purchase your tickets now at WeberStateSports.com or by calling 801-626-8500. That's a huge game. James Madison routinely... A semifinalist. Well, they're talking about them moving up. They are. I read a story about the dominoes. Yeah. With the first, the SEC makes their move, then the Big Twelve makes their move, and where's the American Athletic going to go? And James Madison was talked about moving up and maybe taking a big jump up. They were talking about how much they pay coaches and how many new buildings they have and what their athletic budget is. And James Madison poised to make the jump. DJ and PK, it's time now to talk about the Utes and the Aztecs. Matt Ortiz, co-host of the Sons of Montezuma podcast, joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah's in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is the solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Matt, good morning. Good morning, DJ PK. So, it has been a while since the Utes have seen the Aztecs. Obviously, the Aztecs went through a coaching change. Now they're going through a stadium change. But it looks like they can still run the ball really well, and they still have a really good running back. True story? You know, they sure do. We've had a great chance to sit down with Aztec starting running back Greg Bell. He is the focal point of the offense. I, I seen a crazy stat the other day in the last 50 games. When the Aztecs run the ball over 200 yards, they're something ridiculous like 49-1. and one. Wow. So Greg Bell is going to be the focus. He's got an amazing journey. His story is one that in San Diego we're very familiar with. He originally wanted to come to state, 
things happen on the on the grades side that he had to go to the JC route in Arizona Western, which proved to be very, very beneficial to him because he ended up going to Nebraska. Things didn't work out there. And now he's back home in San Diego and all Aztec Nation is extremely excited about it. Well, usually if you were uh, running back there, a really good one in the recent years, you've been an NFL guy. Uh, that, and those are just the facts of the situation. Is this kid an NFL guy? You know, I think he really is. And you hit you, you hit something there because San Diego High School in particular has a really, really proud tradition of running backs. You can go back to Marcus Allen. You can go, you know, as recent as uh, Arian Foster, uh, numerous Heisman Trophy Award winners. The, the kid is cut from the same cloth. His journey, like I said, just took him, you know, different paths. But the, the young man is uh, he's slippery, man. He, he gets through the line very uh, different ways. He's he's got a good uh, burst of speed and he's a tough kid. So can they throw the ball and have some balance? They had some big plays against Arizona. I watched the game, but it was tight end screens. It was little stuff and. Arizona guys running at each other and then missing tackles. And so all of a sudden it's a 75-yard play, but that's not the same as throwing the ball consistently. Certainly worked that night, but don't know that they'll have that working for them every week. Other defenses will tackle better. What do you think of the passing game? You know, it's it's yet to be seen. It, obviously, I was there at the game uh, last weekend in Tucson, and, you know, it was a great atmosphere. We were very excited to see how uh, the quarterback, Jordan Brookshire, and the offense was going to come out because we knew we were going to have to have a more balanced attack. But, you know, hey, I know we haven't been in the same conference with Utah for, what is it, 10, 11 years going on now, but there's definitely a, a, a lot of respect that us in San Diego have for the program there in Utah. So we know we're not playing U of A anymore. This is not, <laughs> this is not, you know, a bottom team of the Pac-12. You know, we, we definitely respect. And so it's going to be interesting to see, you know, Jordan uh, came out a lot more confident than he did in that first game against New Mexico State, which, I mean, let's be honest, arguably is one of the lesser teams in all FBS. So it, w- it was definitely good to see him be uh, a lot more competent, a lot more confident, in his play, but you know, that, that Utah defense is, is a whole different animal coming in this week. So we saw the Aztec program really take off under Rocky long. And then he leaves, and he turns 70 and goes over back to New Mexico as a defensive coordinator. And they bring back Hoke who was on the staff and obviously had been head coach before. How much, if anything has changed in the philosophy of the Aztec program with long leaving and Hoke taking over for a second time, you know, really not much. You know, obviously, uh, Brady Hoke, when he was first here, originally brought Rocky Long in as his defensive coordinator for those first two years. So really, it's just been, you know, we're very fortunate to have an extension of the same philosophy for all these years going strong. Now that, you know, Coach Rocky is back home in New Mexico, um, the, the defense really hasn't changed philosophy. And and obviously, this defense for the Aztecs, the a lot of senior leadership on that defensive line. The 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 linemen, the linebackers are all very very familiar with the three three five scheme that was uh, brought here by Rocky. So they're they're definitely the strength of the team, strength of the defense. And I know that the new defensive coordinator, Kurt Maddox, he you know he's he's got all the tools. 
he's got all the uh, fun parts there to have some fun and dial up some uh, exciting uh, packages there in the defense. So it looks like they've been uh, carrying it on. Do you expect them to blitz a lot because the Utah offensive line struggled with blown assignments against BYU? Do you think that they will bring a lot of exotic blitzes, give them different looks, try to confuse them, and, and then take advantage of some more blown assignments? Well, you know, that's always the goal, right? With the three-three-five, you want to give that offense some different looks that they're not used to and disguise where your blitzes are coming from. So, you know, the last two weeks, uh, it, it didn't really require – much of that because the the pressure that our our front three and four were giving was was well enough um and the secondary on the back end which was probably our biggest question mark on the defense you know they held their own we got some coverage sacks but with this utah team you know uh i wouldn't be surprised to see some new wrinkles some new uh disguises coming in there so i think in a game like this where the two teams are are just obviously defensive-minded teams it's going to take something a little different from both sides to throw the other defense off. Now, it benefits us, I think, in a certain ways that we've been able to see BYU play our previous two opponents. So a lot of game film watching on our part to see, okay, what did BYU do to finally get over that hump and and beat Utah? Um, easier said than done, though. So we'll, we'll have to see. So the game's in Carson, two hours away to the north. Uh, Utah's travel roster, I got it right in front of me, that they took down to Provo the other night. They had 20 guys from uh, at least uh, within a two, three-hour drive of this stadium, and a lot of them within (laughs) literally minutes of the stadium uh, right there in the Southern California area. So there's going to be a lot of Utah fans there uh, big game, Pac-12 opponent and all that. Uh, what's going to be the atmosphere? Because it's a real funky situation. I can't think of a team playing its home games two hours away from its campus. You know, it really is. You know, all Aztec Nation is very excited. Next season is the grand opening of our new Aztec Stadium. It's uh, it's going to be amazing. That, that environment is going to be something that uh, this program has never seen before. Southern California is is going to get a treat. But this season, this one last final year playing in Carson, you know, it's uh, it's it's not ideal. It's not definitely not ideal. But um, this game is being billed as a blackout, so our fans can come out and get excited. You know, if on our perspective, if we could pull this one out, obviously it sets our season up for a little, a lot more of an interesting possibilities. So I know our fans are excited. Like you said, there's a lot of not just LA kids, there's a few San Diego kids there on the youth's roster. So I know they will be very well represented, but uh, man, I, I think it's going to be a fun atmosphere. Uh, it's a lot different than playing in the old uh, Qualcomm Jack Murphy uh, decrepit stadium. So no matter what, man, we're enjoying it. Tailgating is going to be a beautiful atmosphere outside. And uh, yeah, looking forward to it. Well, man, thanks for a few minutes. We appreciate it. Look forward to the game on Saturday. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate the Olive Branch, guys. SonsofMontezuma.com. Matt Ortiz, co-host of the Sons of Montezuma podcast covering San Diego State football. I find a level of, what's a word, intrigue into this game? That was exactly the word. When you said a level of, I thought intrigue is the next word. Not passion, because it's non-conference and they don't play that much. But, but the Utes just lost. The Utes just lost. They've never gone and one and two in the league. That they do, that they did poorly in that BYU game, 
are things San Diego State, well, they could do well, and maybe they can take advantage of that. Was that a, a one-off for whatever reason? Who? Utes? For the Utes? And they're going to they're gonna get it together? Because in a 3-3-5, Matt's right. The whole point of having a 3-3-5 is you're usually going to bring a fourth or fifth guy, but you have no idea which linebacker or defensive back is coming. And so for blown assignments and guys coming free and disrupting plays, the 3-3-5 is kind of built to do that, confuse you. And this is a team that had, in Kyle's own words, the offense had a lot of mental mistakes. They had blown assignments. So also, defensively, Man, they gave up a couple hundred yards rushing. In San Diego State, they're built to run the ball. That is built. They, they run it, they run it, they run it. They throw it once in a while. It's not quite the lopsided thing you see with the service academies and with Air Force. But after that, then they're about as lopsided as it gets. Well, it's lopsided in the pro-style sense, not from the option sense. They're not trying to deceive you. Right, it's not trying you. to see you. They're just going to run. <laughs> yeah. But it, but it's you know they don't throw a lot. But when they throw, they try to hit on a big play. Uh, yeah, but they're, they're not going west coast. They're not going to throw the ball on three straight snaps. I wouldn't think. Well, neither are the Utes. Uh, I think that to me, the level of intrigue is the way they respond. Whittingham's a tough guy, and it's one thing to lose, but the one thing to get dominated and to lose and, the trenches on both sides. Yeah, and right. so I'm expecting a substantially better effort. And there's so many of these kids that just live within. Yeah, we had Nick Ford on. And he was, of the he sta- was talking the arena yeah. stadium. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I know exactly, literally, where Nick Ford lives. I live close by myself, so he's going to have all sorts of people. All these kids are going to be fired up, and yeah. then they're going to be fired up because they lost. Easy for a lot of these kids to bring fifty or a hundred people. Oh, as many as they want, right? The tickets will be there. It's a twenty-seven thousand seat stadium. It's not going to be full. Well, you see that when they play in the Coliseum and Rose Bowl. Go, yeah. Having been down for every game that the Utes have played in the Rose Bowl or in the Coliseum, I've literally been there every single game. You get there early. You walk around, and you see them red upon red upon you red. See, and the parents or the families, because they have some form of identification. Mm-hmm. That's my son. That's my nephew. They're wearing your gear. So Maybe you, they make. You can figure make, out the connection. Sometimes they make T-shirts, yeah, and there'll the, be twelve people yeah. with the family T-shirt. You, you literally see it. Yeah. And so all these kids are going to be sky high to play this game, and they get to go back uh, next month too in the Coliseum. But after Saturday, wow! I mean, that was such a downer. I'm really excited to see how the Utes respond to this. Now, I think this is a decent opponent. It's not anything that you can just roll over and, and cream. by, and You just can't. I think they're good enough. It's not Arizona State beating up on UNLV. Or San Diego State beating up on Arizona. Uh, so I'm excited for this game to see what they can do, and I'm glad it's the Suns actually going to be out for a good portion of the game. That's rare. And uh, to see what they can do. They need to get it back and get it back quick. You lose this game. Yikes. Oof. Oof. Yeah, you've gone 0-2 against Division One non-Power 5 teams. That's not good. And it's funny because for pretty much the better part of, what, seven, eight years, the Utes media-wise has been nothing but love. 
Well, there would you be very little love at this level. Yeah, there'd be very little yeah. love. What's up you've, with you guys? You've lost one non-conference game in a decade, and then you lose two in eight days. I don't see it, but if it were to happen, I mean, they're, they're used to being. Oh man, those guys—they play tough brand of football. And if yeah. a second straight team runs for two hundred yards on them, because that's how San Diego What's up State with wins. That? <laughs> yeah, right. That goes against everything that the program has stood for for thirty, 30 years. years. Absolutely. <laughs> totally agree. You just can't. It's bad enough. You got. It's happened where they've gotten beaten up at the line of scrimmage before, but it doesn't happen very often, and it shouldn't happen back-to-back. Oh, no. We could still recite the one time it happened to Urban because it's so rare. New Mexico. Yep. <laughs> right? And how many years was that? It's almost— 2003. Uh, it's 18 yeah. years ago. Yeah. And we can still see it, and we're still stunned by it. UNLV? Who was that little bowling ball running back the night they beat the Utes 27 nothing that launched Kyle's 41-7 and run or whatever it was? Well, going back to the new... Yeah, so I suspect they'll accord themselves well. Going back to the New Mexico thing, Rocky Long was the head coach of that New Mexico team. I'm excited for this game, and Rocky's... His imprint is Rocky still on the is, Aztec You know program. who Rocky is in a football sense? He's Jerry Sloan. Oh, no, he's Jerry, Jerry Sloan. Sloan. Okay. I can see that, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Older dude... And no I still nonsense. wouldn't mess with them. Yeah, right. no, <laughs> no, 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 no nonsense. Right to the point. <laughs> yeah, just as direct We've as had, possible. We had him on the show multiple times in his New oh, Mexico. We would go twice, awesome, twice a year. Awesome. Interview. He would always. He would be the one coach. Yeah, I can remember back when we were at thirteen twenty yeah. in the studio. We we could count on him. BYU Utah week every single year. I grew to love the guy. Yes, and then I would interview him at down at. Uh, uh, Mountain West Media Days, yeah, you felt like you were always talking to your father and you wanted to sit up straight because you wanted to impress him because if you slouched, he'd tell you to sit up straight. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, and Bronco spoke extremely high of him. So uh, I'm, and his imprint is still on the program. Absolutely. And it's very unusual. If you hadn't seen the cutaways of the Arizona game where they cut to the sideline, you see the coach. If you just watch the game, it would be easy to imagine he was still coaching the team. They ran the ball. They ran the ball. They ran the ball again. They threw a three-yard pass. The guy broke tackles. Well, unless folks an idiot, why would he change? Yeah. Because it's clear that don't fix that level, that style of football took San Diego State to levels that they hadn't been consistently in 40 years when it was a totally different sport. Right, right, right. There were no recruiting limits. They were a JC program. There was no TV. There was no social media. It was a League of California schools. They were completely overmatching. Yeah, so why would you mess with that? No reason to. It's the talent in the program. It's the talent in the pipeline. It's the identity you've got when you're out recruiting. Yeah, so absolutely. Keep this doing is, it. This is what we've built, and yeah. we've built it rather well. And then this new stadium, I was listen, I listened to this. Uh, uh, they have it uh, on Channel 84 on Sirius. It's College Football Network. Mm-hmm. And they had him on. The, the afternoon guy had on Hoke. Mm-hmm. And they were just going on about their ability to run the ball. And then they were going on about this new stadium. And the host had seen the drawings and stuff of mm-hmm. the stadium and this guy's just going nuts on how great it's going to be. That's really cool for them. 
It's going to be about half the size, so they ought to be able to fill it because there's been no atmosphere because there's been acres of empty seats. Right. Because yeah, they didn't yeah. need a 70,000 seat stadium, as many college teams don't need when they play in NFL stadiums. No, not at all. Uh, so, yeah, so I'm, uh, I'm very uh, eager to see what this stadium looks like when it's done because I'd been to the other stadium 100 times to cover football and actually not to cover baseball but to watch baseball and uh, to see what they're going to get now. I'm excited for it. I, I don't know what it's going to do. Stanford got its stadium remodeled, downsized. It really hadn't done a whole lot. No. Uh, but what can it be for there? I, I don't know. Maybe it, maybe it doesn't matter, or maybe it adds to where, yeah, people were thinking, well, if I can't go, not everybody can go to those other two schools to the north in the Pac-12. Why not go here? Pretty good brand of football. New stadium, San Diego. I think the comparison will have be more uh, CSU. The CSU got a new stadium, went on campus. It is on campus, yeah, and I have not been to it. It's supposed to be uh, nice. This is supposed yeah. to be really nice. I was talking to uh, Jerry Bovey, former Weber State ED, who's up at Utah State, and he actually yeah, brought yeah. it up with me. He said, have you seen that? I said, well, I've seen the drawings and the social media stuff they've put out. He says, it is supposed to be really nice. He's like you. He said, he can't wait to go see it in person because he's heard such good things about it. Right. So... And it'll be on campus. It's been off, but that whole acres of parking that you may have tailgated in when you went to a bowl game down there or you went to a, a regular game, that, that's going to be the whole San Diego State West campus. They're building a second campus. The San Diego State's been landlocked for 30 years looking for a way to do this, and now they're doing it. So, All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Coming up next, everything you missed in this show, Lincoln Kennedy on the NFL, the crazy uh, Raider game, and his take on the Pac-12 South now. We'll get to all of that coming up. And Aaron Rodgers getting called out by a former teammate. We will get to that next. Stay with us. It's game week for the Cougars. And the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. It ain't over till it's over. After their emotional win against the Utes, BYU welcomes in another Pac-12 opponent as Arizona State rolls into Lavelle Edwards Stadium this Saturday. Listen all week for your chance to win tickets to the game and then catch the Cougar pregame show Saturday at 6 with a postgame show immediately following the game on the Zone Sports Network. From Monday morning to the post-game press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Cougar football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. That's the National Football League. Each offseason, you got to work like it's the last season. And I just don't see a work ethic in Aaron Rodgers that I have in previous years. And uh, actually, you can see it right through his, his helmet. The eyes and the face tell, tells everything of the personality. And uh, I just don't see it, that NFL hunger and, and just feel hungry to go win another championship. I just think it's cliche and talk um, that, that guys get up there and say, oh, I want to win a championship. Oh, it sounds good, but I want to see what you do on the field. That's Jermichael Finley right there, former Packer tight end, 2008 through 2013. He was former teammate of Aaron Rodgers, but now openly questioning his work ethic and his ability to lead with the Packers getting smoked by the Saints in Week 1. Well, I think he once, went, once he went with the man bun, you have to question his work ethic. The man bun is for linebackers, not quarterbacks. Name me a quarterback who's won a Super Bowl with a man bun. And we're done. 
just doesn't happen. Not yet. You don't see Tom Brady with a man bun, do you? No. It's only a matter of time, though. Did you ever see Joe Montana with a man bun? <laughs> no. Bart Starr? <laughs> Bart Starr. <laughs> ever have a man bun? No. Yeah. Kenny Stabler, though, he was he was close one offseason. Oh, you can do whatever you want in the offseason. But when it's time to play ball, you got to lose the man bun. You just What kind of message does that send to your team when your quarterback runs out there with a man bun? He says, well, screams, we're soft. Feels challenged. You'd think he'd work harder. But he's coming off a big year. But if he wants to stick it to the man, writing him off, pushing him out the door. So you're going to spite yourself? play at a high level. Well, it seems like he's spiting himself if he's not working hard enough. Right. I mean, that was a miserable three hours in, well, it was in Jacksonville, I guess, right? Neutral site. Had to move the Saints game. Oh, I got you. Yeah. Yeah, and then you look at Winston. He's reformed. You know, he had some off-the-field stuff. and But every time I hear him speak, it's like, wow. This guy's he's dialed in now. Right thing every he's time. Dialed in. Yeah. I saw a sit-down interview with him. And I came away way impressed. Seems like maybe he's one of these guys that took a while to mature. But seems like he's there. And he's all business, saying the right stuff. And we'll see what he can do. You know, there's been plenty of guys that... Uh, Late bloomers at quarterbacks? That's a position where it can happen. Right, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, he wasn't bad at his other, uh, with, with Tampa Bay. Inconsistent uh, mistakes, turnovers, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But you saw the promise in him. Uh, He's always been able to make big plays. But there's been plenty of guys, Tannehill being one of the uh, later ones now. Right. I'm Kurt Warner, Hall of Fame guy. Yeah. And teams are always reaching for those guys because that has been a storyline throughout NFL history. So this week, the Saints will be playing Carolina, and obviously Carolina is trying to get that with Darnold. Didn't work in New York, but a lot of circumstances. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they threw him away so early. Yeah, and he had an offbeat coach, to be kind, <laughs> or a crazy coach to just get right to the chase. Cut to the chase! And he didn't have much of a team around him. Not at all. So Carolina, maybe this is a value pickup here. Maybe this will work. I would like to see Sam Darnold succeed. I think he's got it in him. We've seen Green Bay start poorly before and figure it out, though. Will Rodgers figure it oh, out? Oh, I'm not ready to cast him aside. He's right in what he says here. It's one game. Uh, it's just that it's one game with all the offseason drama. That So that raises the eyebrow a little bit more than normal, but it's still just one game. If he would have been there and it would have been a uh, usual offseason, I'd probably say, yeah, one game, come on. But... Once the offseason stuff is factored into it, and it seemed like it was nonstop drama. And we have seen quarterbacks fall off a cliff where they've been really good, and then they just they lose it. You're talking about Billy Kilmer? I was actually going to go to Peyton Manning. But sure, Billy Kilmer, if you'd like. <laughs> Two ends of the spectrum there. If you'd like to go with I have hey, no Billy idea Kilmer's got to be Billy 70 Kim- now. Billy Kilmer came into my mind. I just like that name, Billy Kilmer. <laughs> no idea why I said that, which is really par for the course for me. 
Lincoln Kennedy joined us earlier this morning, Raider radio analyst, Pac-12 analyst, talked about the crazy, wacky ending. The Raider offense got very good late in the game with 17 fourth quarter points, and then they score in overtime to win it. But he pointed out they also have 17 guys on their injury report this week, including two season-ending injuries. They lost a defensive tackle. Offense and defensive line. Gerald McCoy went out for the year. Yeah, but I mean, it happens, but it's a problem. This is the NFL, man. Cowboys are dealing with the same stuff. They lost their defensive end, Marcus Lawrence, to a broken foot in Wednesday's practice. He's out six to eight weeks. I mean, as long as they got D.D. Lewis, they're okay. D.D. Lewis? <laughs> somebody, Just pulling out all kinds somebody of Somebody grew up in Jersey watching Cowboy games. I told you, Roger Stallback was my hero. Yeah, he was your guy. Yeah. So in order to have him be your guy, you got to watch the games. Although, interestingly enough, Willie Mays is my guy, and I don't ever, the only thing I remember him is him falling down the outfield. I mean, I never saw him play. Certainly no, nowhere close to his prime. But I did see Roger play in his prime, that's for sure. And it seemed like in Phoenix, Cowboy games were on all the time. And in New Jersey, seemed like they were on. America's team. Turns yeah. out they get on a little. But I mean, it would be a lot. B- were they the were America's very team good. then? Yes, they were very good then. Yes. I mean, they were good, but did they, they have that moniker attached to them? When did that happen? Was it was it back when Roger was I playing? I don't know. I don't know what year you have in mind for starters. Oh, yeah, when Roger, Roger was playing. Yeah, they were a big deal by then. My earliest I mean, they, football memories they, are of Roger Stolbeck. They were awesome for 20 years. I remember them Thanksgiving, that's for sure. For 20 years... They were in the, it's a college basketball term, but in NFL terms, they were in the Final Four as often as not. And they were in the playoffs almost every year. I think it was 18 out of 20 or something. When the playoffs were smaller, it was more difficult to get in. They yeah. were elite. They, it was, if, you did, if you didn't, if you wanted to win it, you had to beat them to get there. I mean, they were in the mix so often. For 20 years, from the mid-60s to the mid-80s. So I don't know what year you have in mind, but Staubach was there through the 70s. In the I think, well, the 70s, yeah. Well, Mer- well Meredith was good. Watching football, Meredith was I don't good. have any memories. Don't have any of him, yeah. No. Meredith was good earlier, and they were still really good after Staubach with Danny White, your ASU guy. My thought of Meredith was the announcer. I think that Roger Staubach, all things considered— was the greatest man ever to play sports. <laughs> That's how high you hold him. I interviewed him once. He was a great interview. Duh! He was a truth teller. <laughs> it was a <laughs> he just went right after Dan Fouts. Yeah, he's good, but he's more into stats than winning. He served his country. There it is. Won the Heisman. Never even had lust in his heart for another woman. Never. I don't Never. see how you can possibly know that. but okay. Because he's Roger Staubach, you oh, idiot! That's okay. why! Okay. <laughs> 12 NFL title games in 17 years. If Jesus NFC title played games, sorry, sports, NFC title games. it was Roger Staubach. Moving right Crossed over to sacrilege. So no, no! What you, Joseph Smith was a wrestler, I'm told. Leg wrestler, PK. Leg wrestler. A leg wrestler? Uh-huh. What is that? You never done a leg wrestle? You say L-E-G? Uh-huh. L-E-G. No. Leg what is wrestling. that? What? No, I have never heard of that. What is that? Do you know what that is, Sniggy? 
I've heard of it. You know what it is? I think the two people lay on the ground, but I don't know how you win. (laughs) You flip the other guy over. With your legs? Yes, it's one leg. So you kick your leg up, and then you kind of interlock your leg. I just kicked the covered clothes. But (laughs) you interlock your legs as you kick up, and the first person to flip the other guy over, it requires quite a bit of hamstring strength to pull this off. Who does that? Nobody anymore. I did. It. Was it I was back a big deal in the 1800s? Yes, I, and I did this when I was a youngster. Like, Leg you wrestling. did really? Uh huh. Huh. I haven't done it in many years now, though. Never even heard of it. Just, huh. just Google it. You're gonna Google it. The 1800s. They can't didn't get the internet to work here tonight. So they, today, they, so they can't. You also did a thing called stick pull, but you know, stick pull. That's naughty. Let's just move along, as you mentioned. Is that like tug of war, but no rope? You use a pole and... Uh, yeah, you have two hands, guy on each end, and first guy to pull the other guy over. That makes more sense than leg wrestling, doesn't it? <laughs> I can see that a little we're really easier, just, yeah. yeah. I can visualize it's that in my yeah, mind. It's kind of tug of war. I get we're, that. We're right, way right, the weeds right. Flipping a guy over with your legs, that, that seems... Just Google it. It's actually pretty interesting. That seems bizarre. I don't know. Question of the morning, he says, changing the topic. Two-parter. One, the NBA is almost upon us. ESPN win projection has the Jazz with the best record in the West, 55-27, and two games ahead of the Lakers. Who's buying it? It's as good as anything right now. I mean, they had the best record in the the NBA last year, so if you're going to project them and have the best record this year, great. But... We still have to factor in the team that will inevitably be crippled by injuries, the big midseason trade that is sure to be pulled off that will make teams better and or worse. We didn't know the Rockets were going to deal Harden last year. Two years ago, we didn't know the Jazz were going to acquire the sixth man of the year who's going to provide tremendous spark off the bench. Joe Ingles. Seventh man of the year, Joe Ingles, has been on the roster for a long time. That's not who I'm talking about. You're talking about Clarkson. Jordan Clarkson. He of more tats. I'm surprised there was room. And a face tat, no less. Yes, he got his first face tat. Saw that on social media. Who is first? That implies he's going to get more face tats? Can't rule it out. It is first. Whether there will be a second will remain to be seen. Can I rule out you getting face tats? Yes, you can. <laughs> 100%. Ooh, 100%? Not getting a face tat. So, not happening. You not, always hear never say happening. never, but you are but going to say case, it. There's an, ex- there's an exception to every rule. There are. I never say them. never is a great rule, and I really buy it, but in this case, I'm selling it. Okay. Buy or sell, DJ gets a face tat. Robert so. Redford, Demi Moore, $1 million. Face tat. <laughs> I didn't like that movie. Face tat, $1 million. How about what? the yacht, though, man? That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> you remember the yacht? I don't even remember the yacht. <laughs> it's the yacht. <laughs> okay, so. If you got a yacht, yacht, you're since rocking. Since we're doing free association now. <laughs> it's 943. If you go to San Diego on a vacation. Who would want to do that? Lots of people. <laughs> and you walk along the bay. You know they got that seaport village. There's places to eat and shop and all that. Of course. If you keep yes. going towards the convention center, right on the water. Essentially behind the convention center on the water, there's a lot of yachts. There's one huge marina. Keep going past that. And all the way down at the very end, when you get to almost where they unload the dole ships with all the pineapple, there are some mega yachts. You can go on on Google Maps and see it. They are unbelievable. They look like $100 million yachts. A yacht is a yacht, though. No, no. You have to go see these. And you get get your steps in. There's the yacht. Then there's the supersized yacht. Mm. Then there's the mega yacht. 
Yeah, I know. And you got a big TV. Nope, I got none of those. But it was staggering to walk past them and look at them. Right. So I remembered a yacht, and you give us some cockamamie story in which you remember a yacht, but somehow it's pure and virtuous. But my yacht that I remember, I can't believe you remembered that. What yeah. the crap's the difference? Well, you were referencing a 20 or 30-year-old movie, whereas I walked by that two years ago. Oh, okay. So that's why. That makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. I should have known. I agree. Paycheck those, is why I live in Utah. But you pulled Billy Kilmer out of the and, same era, so you know, I shouldn't yachts be surprised. Just, they were created in the last two years. I don't know when they were built. <laughs> you saved a school six hundred grand. Six hundred grand wouldn't get you a seat on that yacht. I'm fully aware. Of that. All right, you want? Oh, have I you walk by them down there? I, I can top your yacht about. stories. Yeah. Go ahead. This is this is now. Do you want a super yacht? This is yacht no, size. Yacht size yacht. is where we're at this morning. Yacht size, <laughs> which is close to Yahtzee, which is a fun word. <laughs> Yahtzee, yacht size. So that big uh, hotel, what's it called in the Bahamas? Oh, uh, Atlantis. Yeah, Atlantis. Right. We stayed there. It's a married property. Used some points. Well, you know, a slice of pizza is like $25. <laughs> Yahtzee! <laughs> but so they got this right next to it. They got like a seaport village right next there? to it. Okay, sure. And there, the, the subway line is like 400 people deep. Because you know? <laughs> nobody wants to eat at the hotel because it's so expensive, right? Well, to walk from there, from the hotel over to that where these shops are, they have these yachts and they sat there every night. And I could not believe them. They had helicopters. They had boats that I would lust for on the yachts. And like 42 sea dudes. Is that, like the, is that yeah. like the RV in southern Utah where they're towing the little car behind so they can leave their RV in the spot and then yeah. they take their car and tour around? Unfreaking believable, man. I would walk over every night and think, how in the world do you have that kind of cash? That is un, That is staggeringly Stunning, man. Staggeringly stunning. These yachts. Wow. Holy freak. Man. So I can only imagine what you saw if they were better. Your your yachts might have topped mine because I don't remember a helicopter being on any of those yachts. Oh, yeah. And they had crews working and they're docked. Yes. Yeah. They're working there. Yeah. I would take a job as that. <laughs> I just want to work on that yacht. <laughs> I don't even want to. And then that. we go out, and the Caribbean, I believe, is the best water in the world. I haven't been around the world. But that water, you know, it's warm. It's see-through all the way to the bottom and see your feet and whatnot. It's just gorgeous. Wow. I don't even know how we got on yachts. I don't either. All right, your feedback coming up next. Enough of the yacht talk. Yahtzee! Feedback on the way. Stay with us. Don't go nowhere. Join Hans and Scotty, University Federal Credit Union's grand opening to their Lehigh Meadowbrook branch Monday the 20th from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., 101 North and 1200 East in Lehigh. Last time BYU fans stormed the field before the Utah game was after the USC win and the Cougars promptly lost their next three games. Any worries about a repeat? Joe rejects the premise. I love when people do that. You're very good at that, by the way. I reject the premise that he's rejecting the premise. Joe says, actually, the last time BYU fans stormed the field was when they beat Boise State at home, and BYU won the next four after that game. Not to that level. No way. I don't remember that they stormed the field after Boise State. I also don't remember they don't, so I'll have to take you two at your word. on when they, I remember them storming USC. That was unforgettable. I do not remember Boise State. 
Not to that level, man. There's just no way. No. No, this was everybody. The joy... I could argue that the the joy that I hadn't seen like that since 2009, the last time they beat Utah. <laughs> the last time they beat Utah, yeah. only that unleashes that level of passion from the fans? Yeah. So you can st- not all storming the fields are created equal. That's a true story. I believe that. And the last time the Utes stormed a field three times in the same night was a rivalry game as well. Well, the only time. Sure. <laughs> that <was> Yahtzee! <laughs> that was so freaking bizarre. That's a night to remember. That, that literally would be a night to you remember You know, the great, the great thing about this rivalry, and we recount all this stuff, and we wallow in it because we're here, and The Athletic had someone write the story, and they were recounting it, and it's big, and we know it's a big deal, but... If you don't get outside of here very often, you don't know how big a deal it is other places. I think people do know to an extent. Okay, but to me, the Maybe athletic just underlined big. it because the guy was digging into all kinds of details, and I'm and I'm almost thinking, are you local? I mean, I went back to look to see if Chris if Chris Camerani wrote it, and he didn't. You know, it. but like he's local, so I would get that he would know all of this. Who wrote it? But he was. I'd have to go back and look it up oh. now. I don't remember the name because it didn't mean anything to me when I saw it. It wasn't anybody I knew. I think people understand around the country, which is why it's bizarre that they wouldn't got, wouldn't want to continue it because it brings you untold attention. Yes, and why you would divorce yourself from separation it makes you on a different level it gives you something that very very few programs have and if cbs is about to get into this the way i think they are and if fox is going to stay in it the way i think they are you might even get better time slots out of this this might not even end up an eight thirty thing Six o'clock. Yeah, six you, o'clock on Fox or CBS. Okay, or 1:30, six. All right, or one thirty. Be careful about one thirty this time of year, though. It, it could be it can get pretty hot. Yeah. yeah, so it would be uncomfortable for the fans. But I'm not. I'm not ruling it out. You know, they've got to be good. Well, yeah, I don't, but even, it, but it becomes, I don't even know if they're going to play. I, I'm. I'm with you on that. Well, they've got the game scheduled, but I, I'm with you in that it definitely feels like it's going to be intermittent. If it's going to be an eleventh big time game for the Utes and a tenth or eleventh big time game for BYU. Depending on how many conference games they play. I mean, they said in the press conference they don't even know yet. That hasn't been decided. It was a very matter of fact. They, they're considering it all, but. And, and the Pac 12 could decided. reduce to one, too. So we don't know. Well, the Pac 12, I think, is going to play the eight conference they and a Big could, Ten and an ACC. Yeah, but if you're playing. And that's why I say Purdue it's. Or whomever, and that's why I say on. it's intermittent. When you know you're not getting one of the big dogs, it's easier to say, I'm going to play it. If you are getting big dogs, they're going to skip it. Big dogs, and the more big dogs, the more excited kids are. Why I, is that a negative you don't, that you got to downgrade the schedule? You don't have to convince me, <laughs> but coaches like to have gimmies buried in the schedule. They like to have tune-ups out of the gate. Arizona State wanted two shakedown games. We'll play a Big Sky team. Uh, you don't we'll know play that. Mountain West team. You don't, you don't know that. We'll they, play they, BYU. They, they might not have been able to get anybody else. I'll give you that because they played some other ones, but nonetheless, it's the schedule they have, and I don't think it's an accident. But it's why this. But year? it doesn't mean that they didn't talk to other people, and they did play Notre Dame, so they will play big dogs. They played Notre Dame. They played yeah. Michigan State. Uh, they've got LSU. I mean, they've played plenty of big dogs. I don't know how it came out this year. 
is because you. I don't know. But when to the s- bigger point, you know, coaches like that, and we don't know who the coach and AD are who are going to set up the twenty thirty two schedule and where this is going. Well, I think and they pretty much plotted out this rest of this decade when they're going to play and when they're not playing gonna play. BYU and Provo is plenty good enough. Yeah, and I and I think it can be a big deal if both these teams stay pretty good in the Pac twelve and Big Twelve. The TV networks are always looking for big games during the year. And I think as we go to streaming, it's going to be even more important. Because people, it's, you're basically driving people to the verge of pay-per-view. And it's got to be a big deal or people aren't paying for it. With the bundling the way it's worked, well, you got it because you got everything. And then you can channel surf into it. And that's going to go away. I don't think it is going to go away. I think you're going to have to have destination. You're going to have to have big games or people are going to blow it off. I think that's true, but I think TV as we game. know it is going to still be there in addition. Yeah, there'll be a mix. It's yeah. going to be a transition and a mix. For I a actually while. think the Devils are paying but the Cougars a lot of respect. TV also requires the big game and the destination, the way it's trending. So, oh, for sure. Regardless, yeah, 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 why yeah, are the Devils paying them a lot of respect? Because they usually play a Power Five team of. Some renown. So they're saying that BYU is that team. Going to Provo this year is what they're saying. Yeah. Yes. They normally don't play three cupcakes. That's what Arizona does. Exactly. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Coming up, it's Hands and Scotty right here on The Zone Sports Network.